Pop Culture Affidavit, episode 99, Living Better in 1999. Hello and welcome to episode 99 of Pop Culture Affidavit, the podcast that takes a look at everything random in the world of popular culture, which is brought to you by the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. I'm your host, Tom Panneries. Well, back in episode 95, Amanda came on and we had an epic conversation about 1995, which is the year we graduated from high school. Now it's four episodes later and we are fast forwarding four years to the only thing appropriate for episode 99, which is the year we graduated from college, 1999. We're going to spend time talking about the music, the movies, and the television of 20 years ago, but also talk about major events, getting to talk about some past and present cultural and even political issues. And we're going to do that all right after this. So stick around. Just like it's 1999 The time is out of joint The time is out of joint The time is out of joint The year is 1994, or 1944, or maybe 2994? Time is under threat, and history is falling apart. Who will survive this crisis, and how will history be changed for those that do? Zero Hour Strikes takes you back to that DC Comics crossover and covers the entire story, issue by issue, tie-in by tie-in, as the DC Universe goes down to zero. Join Bass and Siskoid at fireandwaterpodcast.com or on iTunes, Zero Hour Strikes, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Remember Legion. So 1999, we graduated college. We each got our first apartment, our first job. So from January to December of 99, it's just this huge 
year in terms of you know just life events and things like that because we after spending the summer kind of you know back and forth with each other um, we moved to Arlington and then we would move in together in the fall of 2000 yes October yeah so that's kind of like I just wanted to situate us like where we were mm-hmm. because uh, the thing I remember about pop culture in 1999 was how it over the course of the late 90s, it really started to skew younger than we were. Oh, yeah. Um, because you have... Which is saying something, because we were 22 years we were old. 22, it's not like we were old. But you have you have in the in the late 90s, and, and, and in 1999, it kind of like really, I think, starts to peak. You have the rise of the millennials, because that, that's the generation that was teenagers. Back the then, then they were... Uh, why? Why? Yeah. So the, the, the word millennial, I don't think, had really uh, come about yet. But that was the uh, you know the, the, the first generation. I, I want to say they were probably the first generation to also get the designation of tween when they were in that in that age. I don't know if that was in, if that term was around when we were 11, 12, 13, 14 years old. No, it definitely wasn't around when we were younger. <coughs> But I'm not really sure when that originated. Yeah. I mean, I guess whenever Disney Channel started making, like, whatever, Hannah Montana. Lizzie McGuire. The, yeah, yeah, that. like, all those OG kind of, like, yeah. middle of the, like, middle, not middle age, but, you know, tween yeah. type of programming. Yeah, and and the big the big thing was, um, one of the big things that, like, really, really fueled that was TRL. Because TRL had started, I think, about a year or two before. And remember, it wasn't even Total Quest Live at first. It was, like, Carson Daly doing... Yeah, it was just like a countdown. It was basically like the old dial-in TV show that, yes. that used to be on the, mm-hmm. in the 80s. And um, and then it became Total Request Live. So by like, like 1999, TRL is like mm-hmm. enormous. And um, and there's just this whole slew of things that, that happens. Um, you have Woodstock 99, which... Oh, God. Which what a trash heap. Three days of music, peace, and love ended with arson and rioting early today at Woodstock 99. Whatever the reasons, concertgoers began destroying property, starting fires and rioting. Scattered bonfires raged out of control for several hours. Vending stalls were looted and light towers toppled. And a book that came out, I think about a year, I think the tipping point came out like about a year or two later. Mm. But I remember that like in the tipping point, which like millennials may, may have read by now, but I remember like the yeah. look at youth culture was like a big thing in that book because they talked about like um, how Airwalk. Yeah, had, like, the rise and fall of Airwalk. Airwalk and, yeah. um, and, and the idea that there were people consulting with companies to just look for like cool youth uh, trends youth and that trends, sort of yeah, thing, yeah. And things like that. And then later on, as we get into like 2000, 2001, you have like the rise of like Johnny Knoxville and Jackass and, and yeah, things like that. There was this whole kind of, I mean, I was just thinking about this when, when you started talking about Woodstock 1999, because mm-hmm. I'll never forget that clip on MTV of that one girl who's like, you know, Woodstock's supposed to be about peace and love. Why the fuck is Limp Biscuit here? Yes. You know, in, in so many words. And there was the, it, you know, when you think about that, you think about Eminem, you think about, like, uh, Jackass. There was this weird spectrum of, like, gross dudes. And gross for different reasons. Yeah. Like, gross because you're too fucking old to be preying on Christina Aguilera, Fred Durst. Ugh. Gross just because Johnny Knoxville and his whole crew, like, 
they truly just love like dirt and excrement and yeah. shit and whatever. And then like gross because Eminem is just like you know this misogynist weird asshole. So and then Kid Rock hits the scene. Yeah, Kid like, Rock. Bah, bah, comes out. Yeah, like you know Kid Rock and like all, just all this weird male energy in '99 and around it, where you're just kind of like I mean, if you're a young woman, I, if you're a young, I mean, I was a young woman, but if you're like a like a younger like woman, a teenager. like a teen, and you're watching TRL, and this is the kind of male symbolism that's in front of you, like I just really wonder, like, what kind of not that they're solely responsible for any kind of effect, but just thinking, you know, socially, you know, how many. Boys in their high school or middle school were emulating that, and so that's what you're surrounded by. That's what you're coming up yeah. with, and you know just how kind of you know fucked up that was. Well, you also have, and I, and I know these movies start coming out about a, few, a couple of years after it, but you you also have um, like within a couple of years you would have like the Fast and the Furious movies and this sort of like it's just like this this. To me, coming from the um, land of uh, Guido, that I like this glorification yeah. of like every just part of the term Guido that I had to you know grow up around on Long Island and everything, and you know personifying like people like Vin Diesel and things like that, and and it just this and and then like with magazines like Maxim and FHM, oh, and, like yeah, yeah. those things, this whole like kind of it, it, when you look back, it's like really almost seedy like guy culture that. And, you know, and then you think about that with the rise of, like, that kind of, like, what, third wave feminism, which was a lot of, like, sex in the city type of shit. Mm-hmm. Where it's sex like, in the city came out, what, in the 98? Yeah, like, oh, you know, that whole thing in, like, Gone Girl where it's like, here's the cool girl. She loves yeah. hanging out with the guys because she can't trust girls. She loves anal sex and whiskey and, like, yeah. whatever. I mean, it, not that I'm trying to, like, say that it all came out of that, but... You know, you start to see these patterns where it's like this weird agro male cultural pop culture thing. Mm-hmm. You see this weird kind of over feminization, and like I can, I'm girly, and it's it's feminist to be, you know, I don't know, like say that you want to hang out with guys rather than women, you know, because that yeah. I'm owning my own journey, whatever. And so it's just. Now that you look back, it's kind of like, oh, God, this is how, this is why we are where we are. Yeah. Like, this weird-ass women not really empowering each other, this agro-male culture. It's just interesting well, looking at it now because if I was a parent back then, I'd be like, no fucking way. Like, yeah. I don't know. I'd just cancel all cult- yeah. all pop culture yeah. well, don't, <laughs> and make sure that my kid didn't grow yeah. up like that. Well, don't forget, too, that this is a time in the very late 90s where the dot-com bubble is huge and yeah. it hasn't burst. Well, it doesn't start to burst until 2000. And, and it's a very... I've said... I think I've used it before, so forgive me, but, like, I all, when I think back to that time, despite now that I'm looking back and I'm like, ooh, it was kind of dark and kind of mm-hmm. gross in many ways, but... I always think of it as almost like candy colored. Very candy colored. Because, yeah. you know, yeah, the economy was great, the housing market was booming, the tech bo- you know, the tech market was booming, and you know, you had shows like a Sex in the City where 
you know, everything's colorful and bubbly and, mm -hmm. you know, everything's designer. Designer stuff felt really accessible yeah. back then. Everybody had like a blinged out phone, you know, and you, you were watching, not only were you watching TRL, you were watching My Sweet 16. Mm -hmm. And it just seemed like, you know, totally ordinary to have like an over-the-top party and over-the-top present for your birthday or whatever. It was just... It was, and now I can get, and you know, with the rise of that sort of millennial expectation of, yeah. you know, cater to me. And yeah. so, yeah, it's, it's interesting because now when you look back, I'm kind of like, well, yeah, it was candy colored, but it was, there was a whole lot of shit underneath yeah. the well, candy. I mean, look, we were, we were, <laughs> you and I were talking about the real world earlier this, uh, this evening, cause we we're trying to remember in order what seasons of the real world were. I can't remember. Oh, we were talking about Karamo from Queer Eye yes. and then we got to trying to remember the first 10 seasons of the real world in when order. When we stopped whatever, watching. Stopped watching yeah, it. Yeah. And um, I think it was like Seattle, Hawaii, and and those were the ones like around this time. Yeah. And they that show did start to get younger and younger. Like we grew out of that show because yeah. when it started, we were in high school, and and you think of and you're like, oh my god, I want to be those people. Yeah, like you know, there was there was um, the, the of the early of the first few seasons, the one that I really did watch all the way through on its first run, and then did watch a few uh, about five years ago uh, to do an episode about was San Francisco. And these people were in their 20s, and at the time we were seniors in high school, so it was like looking at your, your the older kids, you mm -hmm. know, the kids who the were... The class above the you. The class kind above of you, yeah. the, the kids who had been seniors when you were freshmen. Yeah, yeah. And now you're looking at kids who, like, these people look like kids, even though some oh of them were your age. You know, I, I mean, they look like tiny babies. Yeah. And the, the fact that, you know, our son is going to be, I mean, it's, it's, we've got, what, six years? Yeah. No, five, because he's turning 12 in a couple of weeks. Yeah, I know. And so, it, it's, yeah. Yeah, they're, well, they're, I teach, they're yeah, tiny babies. Teaching high school is just, you, you, and, and it's interesting to see the teaching freshmen and seniors, just the difference in just that. Yeah. It's crazy. But, like, you're right, though. With, with When you look at MTV, MTV also had, like, Cribs was on at this time. Yeah. And, like, other shows that were very much of promoting the the kind of the bowling doubt. When you also lifestyle. saw the beginner, the beginnings of like influencer culture. Yeah. You know, you go on TRL and you're holding your Motorola yeah. Edge or whatever, or you know, you've got these very young, maybe even scandalous celebrities like a Paris Hilton. Like if she's wearing a certain pair of shoes, suddenly mm -hmm. those shoes are sold out. Yeah. You know, or what have you. So you have the rise, this rise of perceived accessibility because people that you are interested in culturally have these things and, you know, they're probably still stupid expensive, but mm -hmm. like if a container of La Mer face cream is a hundred bucks, that's attainable. Yeah. Like if JLo's like, I only use La Mer, you could too if you wanted and then you would feel that connection. Yeah. It's not like JLo saying, I drive a $500,000 Maserati, even though she probably does, or yeah. A-Rod drives it for now. But like, so you couldn't do that, but it, it was like these this weird kind of like, I can feel connected to this person because they've told me exactly the product, where to get it, you know how much it is and you can you can go get it and it just so happens to be, that this is when you see a lot of TV and movies start to integrate products into their shows and their movies to be quote unquote more organic so that because people are starting to fast forward through commercials because they are recording 
shows. Yeah. So we get back back into MTV, back into music. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to start with I went completely off book. No, no, but I mean, but like, you know, the, the music was one of the biggest driving forces in a lot of the teen, teen culture um, because we're going to talk music, movies, and TV. And I know a lot of teenagers watch television, but, but the... But if you look at the, when we're going to get to TV, we're going to look at the highest rated shows from 98, 99, and 99, 2000, and it's very, very, like, adult demo stuff. It's, you yeah, know, it's the exception all, to say Friends. It's all farts. It's, yeah, it is. It's stuff that people, it's stuff that we were still watching in our dorm rooms and things like that, you know, like ER and Friends and stuff. But, like, what the teenagers watching was MTV, you know, that still had a huge presence you know, in their lives. So I, I, I copied down the billboard number ones chronologically through the year, starting with January and going all the way to December. And we have a song that I don't remember at all, uh, but R. Kelly and Celine Dion called I'm Your Angel. Oh, I know that one. Uh, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I'm not going to sing it for you, but I know it. But then we have like a really teen pop heavy year. Also with, uh, and I believe this is the first year they started holding the Latin Grammys as well. Mm. Um, so you have Brand Have You Ever by Brandy. Because I think The Boy's Mind was the previous year. Brandy and Monica. I don't remember. I think you're right, but right, I don't remember exactly. I, I just remember... You mean being in college and seeing that video on yeah, a yeah. lot. Yeah, and then, it was a jam. Yeah, and then um, probably one of the most landmark songs of 1999 is the third album. Yes. So is Baby One More Time by Britney Spears. Yes. Then you have Angel of Mine by Monica, mm -hmm. Believe by Cher, which earned her the distinction. I think she ended up having a number one song in like four decades as a yes. result of that yep. because of the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. Yes. Do you believe in love No Scrubs by TLC. Oh, the best. One of the best songs on this list. Uh, Live in La Vida Loca by Ricky Martin. If You Had My Love by J-Lo. Bills, Bills, Bills by Destiny's Child. Yes. Wild Wild West. Oh, God. What a shit show. Is that the one where he, he sampled... Um, Stevie, Stevie Wonder. Wonder and mm -hmm. Kumo D was on it. Remember the name. Now who you gonna call? Not the GB. Now who you gonna call? You have a riff with people want to bust break out before you get bum rushed at the wild, wild west when I roll into the wild, wild west when I stroll into the wild, wild west when I bounce into the wild, wild west it's going to I don't remember I, the cool mode. I think he was on the. I think they performed it. It's basically the they sampled what I wish by Stevie Wonder. Yeah, yeah. I remember that they thought this movie was going to be. It was supposed to be his blockbuster. Well, because yeah. he would. He had this record. Of, you know, you had Independence Day. Mm -hmm. You had Men in Black. Black. Yeah. So he had this track record of like opening these big holiday weekend. Movies, movies and then Wild Wild West it took a dodge. Tanked. Well, it looks stupid. Like there was like a mechanical spider. I don't want to see <laughs> that. that. Well, and and to just 
my friend Mike has this running joke that it all comes back to Superman. That mechanical spider appeared um, was I think it was one of the ideas of John Peters, and it was in his one of his ideas for like the Superman movie that Nicolas Cage was supposed to be. Oh damn! Yeah, it, yeah, it, was, it so, all comes it back kinda, to that Nicolas yeah, Cage. Yeah. <laughs> so it ended up in movie. Wild Wild West. And it stuff. really yeah. does. Damn. Yeah. So following Wild Wild West, though, you have Genie in a Bottle. Yes. Which is a. You know, you had you had Brittany, you had Christina, you had Jessica Simpson, mm, you had Mandy Moore, you had like there were a couple. Maybe others. there were a couple others I'm blanking on, but yeah, like it was just yeah. everybody was blonde. Yeah, By Lamos by Enrique Iglesias. Yes, the second single off of what the heck? I don't fan mail. Yeah, fan mail. Uh, unpretty. Mm-hmm. And then <laughs> Mariah. Now I believe this is a year before the the infamous. Um, yeah. No, this is the video. First of all. Knock number one. Heartbreaker, by the way. Yeah, it? Heartbreaker. First of all, knock number one. Brett fucking Ratner directed it. Screw oh, you, God, Brett, Brett Ratner. Ratner. Go to fucking hell. Two, poor Jerry O'Connell is in it for like no goddamn reason. Three, there was this weird remix with Jay-Z that sounded terrible. I probably have more. I'll keep it to three. Mm-hmm. I mean, it. I don't know. And then it was... They, that was Mariah's... Uh, Kind of like phase where it was like, I'm going to wear a bra and barely anything else and that's <laughs> just what I'm going to do. And you're kind of like, what the fuck is happening? So, yeah. It, yeah. It, that wasn't that. I think that was pre-meltdown because I think Rainbow came out after. I think this is the first single off, off of Rainbow. Rainbow. Yeah. It was, then, I think I don't have Rainbow, I don't think. So. I think, I really no, know. you don't. You don't. I think you didn't buy this because you were just like, the single is terrible. Yeah, I didn't and, like it. But, you know, you look at the fashion in that video, it is so late 90s, early aughts, it's painful. Yeah, the meltdown happens, like, within the next year or two. Well, she goes on TRL. she goes on TRL. With a fucking popsicle card. And, and, yeah. And then you have... uh, That episode of Cribs. Yeah. And then Glitter comes out, and it's just a... We actually watch Glitter. Yes. (laughs) Damn, that movie sucks. And then for the last two months of the year... Hey, there you go. Your favorite song. The most song... Smooth by Santana and Rob Thomas, and we were just on also the, the most played song at the pub on the boat. <laughs> yeah, we were just on we were just, we the were Disney Dream song, Pub Six Eighty Seven or Eight, whatever it was. <laughs> believe was it about uh, sometime in early 2000 i think um the dc 101 morning crew <laughs> morning uh they kept making a joke about how they had to keep playing smooth and i think at one point they like took a chainsaw to the cd or some some oh, like sort Lord. of like you know 
stupid thing of like I'm tired of playing the song. But I don't know why they had to play it on DC one oh one. It's not like the right demographic. I don't know if they were if they were I thought they were just like making fun of like I think Jack they were making Diamond fun of Jack Diamond, that's what it was. Yeah, like mix one of seven point three. Yeah, because yeah. they, they that was one of their that was one of the best parts of the show where they used to just make fun of Well Jack Diamond is easily <laughs> make fun of a bull. That's yeah. not a word. But he yeah. deserves it. But you see this, and it's a lot. Of, I mean, there are some really, there are some songs that are on here, like No Scrubs and Genie in a Bottle, hold up really well. Even Baby One More Time is not as, um, you know, it's it's disposable pop, but I it's mean, still got. I mean, you feel so sorry for Britney these days. Yeah. I mean, that poor, I can't. She's not a girl, but like that woman, that poor woman, has just yeah. been through a bunch of shit. Her brain is Swiss cheese. She's got to have a conservator on like overseeing her life her father is sick and so it's like god she was in her prime at that point and i don't know you fast forward to the future and you just kind of meaning you kind of just look at her songs with a little bit of fondness because you're like poor brit i mean well and and i was she's been through it what's interesting is that like um she's got better songs than that she does Um, i'm a slave for you is a i'm a slave well because of pharrell yeah toxic is a really good song toxic is a good one but you but then you remember the um the shaved head well, yeah. Breakdown. That was what, 04? 07. That was 07. Because I was on maternity leave okay. with Brett and we would watch TMZ yeah. and I remember saying, this poor girl's going to end up dead. But that weird interview with Matt Lauer was. That was 03, 06. 04. Okay. It was 06. It was 06. Because okay. my friend Karen and I were on that field trip with a bunch of 13 year olds from that evangelical mm. Christian school in Texas and we were in our hotel room in, because I worked for an educational travel company not because I wanted to be on that trip FYI but we were in the hotel room and we were watching and that's when she's crying her fake lashes off and saying she wants to spend time with her boo boos I remember we were Karen and I were like did she just say boo boos yeah so it took like seven years which is you know I guess in a teen idol that's like a lifetime in teen idol that's like a dog it's like dog years that's 49 in dog years and then Christina would go, like, her second album was the whole Extina Dirty. But you know what? Everybody was like, ew, Christina's a skank. And I was like, no, I love Dirty Extina. I like that she looked like she rolled around in some shit. She was wearing leather chaps. Yeah. She didn't give a fuck. She hasn't given a fuck for a really long time. And I think that's why I've always liked Christina a little more than Britney. Mm-hmm. Beyond that, just I, I wrote down a few other uh, songs of note because you have you do have Eminem. We talked about Eminem. We talked about Kid Rock and all that. We really don't want to, but just some one hit wonders from there that didn't hit number one, but were still just ubiquitous. But, you do, but here's the thing. It's yeah. funny because I'm look because Smash All Star by Smash Mouth is on here. Yeah. Hey now, you're an all star. Get your game on. Go play. Hey now, you're a rock star. Get the show on. Get paid. And what cracks me up about Smash Mouth is everyone's like, oh, one-hit wonder. They're not a one-hit wonder group. They have like three or four They singles. have like three or four singles yeah. that were high rank. I mean, like, it's it just cracks me up because, like, that song is pretty stupid and not great. But I'm just laughing because, like... They kept. They keep coming back. Well, that was their second album. Yeah. And their first album had they had. Um, Walking on the sun. Walking on the sun and uh, never met a girl like you before. The one that was in. Um, no, that's not Smash Mouth. No, not no. Uh, no, that was Ed. What's her No. Uh, oh God, what's the name of the song? It was a can't hardly wait. I can't remember it. It uh, doesn't matter. Okay. Point B. Can't get enough, you baby. Yes, exactly. Okay, can't get enough, you baby. Yeah. And then there was the one where it was a, it was a cover. Um, 
Um, um, they covered the monkeys. Uh, well, yeah, I'm a believer. Well, yes, because with Shrek, they yeah. used All Star, they used I'm, I'm a, a believer. believer, and um, no, but they did another. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Maybe you can splice in what the hell yeah. the name of the song is mm-hmm. when I think of it later. But um, yeah, like this was. They had been a one hit wonder. Yeah. And then they came back with this, and then they were like, oh, one hit wonder again. And then they came back yeah. with another one. And I'm just like, this this band will not die. It's yeah. the cockroach of bands. No, train is the cockroach of bands. But well, <laughs> I think you mean the band train. The band train. Check Mar- yourself. Maroon 5 is approaching that as well. At Maroon this point. 5, man. God. Well, you have to die to come back. Yeah. <laughs> um, Lenny Kravitz had that great cover of American Woman. Yes, that was and a good he, one. He also had another song off of that album, too. Um, or, or, or around that time, but I think Fly Away was the previous year. And then you had stuff like um, Madonna hit with Beautiful Stranger off the Austin Powers soundtrack. And I just, I put She's So High by Tal Bachman in there only because they kept playing that video. On we TV had the pleasure show. of seeing that live. Yeah, because he opened for when the we Bare Naked Ladies. Bare Naked Ladies. Um, and then the two, two of the poppiest disposable oh, yeah. songs of the summer. One, Steal My Sunshine by Len. I know. stuck in your head mm-hmm. like that chorus like yeah. 1061 the cor- that's our local radio station played that like a couple months ago and i the whole fucking week it was just like yeah. and i'm like oh my god please stop and easily the dumbest song of the of the entire year was summer girls by lfo yeah i like it when the girls stop by in the summer do you remember? Do you remember when we met that summer? New kids on the block had a bunch of hits. Chinese food makes me sick. And I think it's fly when girls stop by for the summer. For the summer. I like girls that wear Abercrombie and Fitch. I take her if I have one wish. But she's been gone since that summer. Since that summer. Yeah, that was dumb. Yeah. Something about Chinese food. Um, that poor guy's dead. Yeah, he is. Tell he likes girls who wear Abercrombie and Finch and Chinese food makes him sick. And it's so funny because I think, well, no, it was probably 97 or 98, not 99, when Abercrombie and Fitch shot the catalog at UVA. Mm-hmm. And so all of us got, I mean, it was like a goddamn tome. Yeah, they we, were. I mean, yeah. they sent it to you in like the special, like plastic packaging and shit so like all we all got it and we're all it's funny because they were like oh we're we're using uva students as models and my friends and i are flipping through we're like what no where the hell are these dudes at uva there's no it's like when playboy shot at uva yeah. and there and they the were girls like in the ACC. well actually one of them was in my psychology class mm-hmm. fourth year so she actually was a student because every guy was like Sneaking looks at her like out of the corner of their eye, and I'm like, dude, she knows you're looking at you. But like, had this been the age of social media, they would have been. Oh, 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 yeah, oh, yeah. (laughs) Like, here's a surreptitious, you know, whatever. But um, the other two chicks they said were from quote unquote UVA. You could tell they were strippers. They shipped them from Tampa. There's no (laughs) way those chicks went to UVA. 
<laughs> I now I don't know what the population of Florida State was, but because I remember well, Florida buying State, that issue yeah. Playboy. Yeah, Florida like, State, like yeah, those were just, all that place. They were all from like, <laughs> I mean, they did. Well, they might have gone to Florida State. I don't, I don't know. know. I don't think Florida State has very high yeah. standards. Um, and then you have well, Mambo Number no. Five by Lou Bega. Oh God, I hate that song. Terrible. Um, <laughs> so. Uh, the the song that the, the Baz Luhrmann song everybody's free to everyone's free to wear sunscreen which was that spoken word song that was um, I hate this do- the song yeah because it was so it was pulled from an op ed by and I can't remember her name and I'll, I'll uh, uh, a writer for I think it was like the Chicago Tribune or something that had been published a few years earlier that was supposed to be just sort of a tongue in cheek graduation essay written in the paper around the time of college graduations and it. Um, funny enough, from, if I remember the story correctly, it's kind of one of those early, like, these things kind of went viral. It got passed around the internet without her name on it, and it got mistakenly attributed to Kurt Vonnegut. It wasn't by Vonnegut, but Baz Luhrmann picked it up. And, and it becomes this weird spoken word poem video with a bunch of, like, old footage and graphics and things and like that. And the chick, like, singing over it? Yeah, it was just, I, mm. you know... Who was that? I don't remember who that was. I don't was. know who the... Who, who was singing over because it was only credited to Baz Luhrmann, who you know we all know from uh, Moulin Rouge, Moulin Rouge, and but Romeo of course, and Juliet. his best movie, Strictly, Strictly Ballroom. Ladies and gentlemen of the class of '99, wear sunscreen. If I could offer you only one tip for the future, sunscreen would be it. The long-term benefits of sunscreen have been proved by scientists, whereas the rest of my advice has no basis more reliable than my own meandering experience. I will dispense this advice now. Enjoy the power and beauty of your youth. Oh, never mind. You will not understand the power. But I just remember that because Andrea Mitchell did the commencement address for Loyola and she quoted the stupid song because it had been, it, that's, it, it was So popular. she's like that high school principal who stole that Ashton Kutcher speech yeah. from the Teen <laughs> Choice Awards <laughs> this year? Yeah, so, and then two songs that, uh, two of the better songs from the year, at least that I pointed out, we had Praise You by Fatboy Slim, mm-hmm. which had that really cool Spike Jones choreographed odd choreograph video, the best part of which is when somebody comes by and turns the little tape off and he has to get them started again. And then uh, J-Lo has Waiting for Tonight, which did not go number one, but was should, a, have. should have and was when it was a num- another one. Waiting for tonight. Huge albums from this year. I want to say the White Stripes actually debuted this year, or, thing, or, or things like that. But that might they have been might later. Have. I seem to remember "Fell in Love with My Girl," the the Lego yeah. video, but I don't remember that was '99 or 2000. Kind of those yeah. are sort of the late '90s and into the early 2000, kind of up until about 2001, 2002. Kind of blur together, and you can't really. I just remember that video was directed by the same guy who did the um, Foo Fighters uh, "Big Me" Mentos. Yeah. Ad video. Yeah, but I find it, it's funny, interesting, like you know how like how I remember a lot of this and how we were seeing a lot of this, but we were just kind of like 
it was just, at least for me, it was just kind of there. Yeah, well, especially when you consider that the big album the year before had been, like, Ray of Light. Yeah. So, you know, I, when I think of, because, you know, we used to meet at my house a lot, mm-hmm. pretty much our entire relationship while we were in college, and I just remember fourth year listening to a lot of, like, the, you know, CDs. Yes. Yeah. I'm old. Um, on the drive back and forth, and mm-hmm. the CDs I always listened to were, like, I'd listen to Ray of Light, I'd listen to um, Stunt by Bare Naked Ladies, ladies yeah. I'd listen to the Dixie Chicks, Wide Open Spaces, um... Some Shania Twain. That's why I knew that song from uh, Trivial. Uh, yes, the yes. Um, so yeah, like most of the stuff I listened to, like I don't think there was ever like a trendy 1999 album yeah. that I listened to like all the way through or anything. Yeah, I mean, you had like I think there's like one or two compilations up in the CD book, like Ultimate Dance Party. Or, oh yeah, I would throw in some Jock like Jams. Yeah, yeah. But but you're right, and I I try to think of albums that I bought and. I'm I'm kind of blanking on like big albums from 1999 that I went out and bought. That when was, did Jules Pieces of You come out? That, that was, was 95, 96. Yeah, that was like high school. Yeah, I know the second album came out in like 98, 99. I think Hands was the name of the first yeah, song yeah, yeah. after that. I know we had that, and um, but no, I think for the most part, I was it was a lot of because. Um, uh, Dave Matthews Band before these Crowded Streets came out in '98, and I think that was probably one of the. Uh, oh I yeah, you're that. that. Yeah. Um, a couple of soundtracks and things like that, but it was a lot of just a mishmash of things that were just, you know, that were just on constant rotation, and yeah. and the radio was playing a lot of this, and I just remember by the time we hit about like 2000, 2001, I had stopped listening to HFS because all they were playing was like fucking Lip Biscuit, Eminem, and corn. you know whatever. Oh God, corn. And, and the Chili Peppers, because they always played the Chili Peppers, yeah. but the Chili Peppers have basically gone to constantly recording mid-tempo songs with the word California in them. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it was, was just... Was that the one with the... They had the video game mm-hmm. looking I thing? think that was one God, of them. I don't remember so the name dumb. of it, but it was just... Um, God, I didn't yeah. know, like, I really Californication know. was one of them, and then there was Danny California later on. It was just... It was the, almost yeah. like the same it's song like we get it. You're, yeah. you're from California. Yeah. We got so, it. But then we have movies, and, and I wasn't going to spend a ton of time on movies, but I did want to talk about just like one or two individually, because way back in 1994, I did an episode on the movies of 1999, or the summer of 1999, but I did want to bring up the, the top ten domestic box office films. So number one was Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace, which despite its reputation, made $431 million. Of course it was going to make a crap ton of money. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, I hate this movie, let me go see it three times. I saw it like three times. Um, I saw it exactly once, yes, that was enough. Yes, and then um, number two was The Sixth Sense. The commercials of which Oh <laughs> my god. I'm looking at these two movies, The Sixth Sense, number ten was The Blair, Blair Witch, Witch Project. Project, and like... So I'm going to be, I'm very forthcoming with the fact that I have anxiety and I, mm-hmm. you know, I treat it, but you know, when you're 22 and you're a Gen X or someone gives a shit about your mental health and you're anxious and you don't know, you don't know what it is. Like you don't, it's not diagnosed. So I had severe anxiety when I graduated from college because I did not have a job. I was mm-hmm. living at home. I was very, I was very hard on myself about it. Well, that's when these fucking commercials started running yeah. for the Sixth Sense and Blair Witch Project. And I'm, I have insomnia anyway. And I'm laying in bed, like, you know, just trying to, like, drift off while the TV's, like, on. And it's, you know, that the guy who did the voiceover for the Sixth Sense was like, <laughs> Bruce Willis, bleh, And you're just like, oh, my God. 
So yeah, I spent the summer of 99 like scared fucking witless. Cole, what's wrong? Don't move. Don't make a sound. We saw the Blair Witch we Project. We did see the Blair Witch Project. And and it scared the crap out of both of it us. It just because I'm a visual person. Mm-hmm. Like tonight, I'm probably gonna be creeped out. Like I might have to take a melatonin. I don't know. But like, just that last shot, yeah. and then it goes dark, yeah. and then like, you're, that's just it. So like for weeks, the last like every time I shut my eyes, I just saw that dude standing in the corner. Mm-hmm. It just freaked me the fuck out. Yeah, and I did. I did an episode of the Blair Witch Project uh, either last year or the year before, um, and I had watched. I watched it because I have I have it on VHS downstairs, and I watched it again. I hadn't seen it since um, like 2000, 2001, and um, didn't scare me as much this time. But I do remember saying that there were still moments in that movie that are just like they're creepy. They're creepy, or they're or they're the te- they're tense. They're tense. That, yeah. That see, there's this scene where um, not Mike, uh, the other Josh, mm-hmm. is just yelling. At Heather Donahue because they're all lost. He's like, yeah. you know, Heather, what's your motivation? It's this, this, and she's just like, you, you can see her like, you know, she's just getting more and more upset. It's just one of those really, really tense moments that it's not like a horror movie tense. It's like a mom and dad are having an argument yeah. and I want to leave the room tense. Or like, this so, is making me deeply uncomfortable. Yeah, so, so those emotional notes that it hits are like really still there, even though you've seen the movie and you know the ending. Well, I would even say yeah. it reminds me a lot when I think about it now of like The Shining. Mm-hmm. Because I don't think The Shining is scary. Mm-hmm. Like, But it's creepy. It's a tense And, movie, and it's yeah. tense. And yeah. remember I kept jumping every time yeah. they did the, the, like the Chiron where it's like, Wednesday! And I'm I'm like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. So, you know, I think, yeah, if I were to watch it again, I would, you, logically, it's like, this is not scary, but it's very, like you said, it's very tense and your adrenaline gets pumping and you're just like, yeah. it, it scares you in that way. Yeah. So number three on the list is Toy Story 2, which I've never seen. Number four is <laughs> Austin Powers, The Spy Who Shagged Me, which I saw in Boston because I went to see Harris for a weekend and we went and saw The Phantom Menace and we saw Austin Powers. And funny enough, it was either in this or The Phantom Menace where I saw the trailer for The Blair Witch Project. I had never heard of it and I'm like, what is this movie? Oh, see, I, was, I had been night. reading about it because yeah. that was back, we'll see, God bless the early days of the internet, yeah. where there were people who were like, this is real. Like, these <laughs> people really are actually job, missing. Yeah. Like, that was probably one of the first Viral, mm-hmm. of course, back then because I'm old. They called it guerrilla yeah. marketing campaigns. Yeah, like it was one of the first things to kind of go viral. Yeah, and then number five is The Matrix, a movie that um, I saw. I think we saw that together. We and, saw it because remember we saw the commercial during the Super Bowl. Yeah. And we were like, the fuck is Keanu up yeah, to the, now? Yeah, that's the thing. It was like, you know, <laughs> you and I went in with the lowest expectations because it looked like a dumb Keanu Reeves sci-fi movie. I was like, just hoping for like, yeah, I was hoping for like Tech Point Break. Yeah, that's exactly. Exactly what we were thinking, because because yeah. all we remember from the trailer, um, because the bullet Whoa. time stuff, yeah, there was there had been action movies that used that sort of like I'm gonna slow motion bend out of the way as the somebody fired an arrow or something. Yeah. I think John Woo used it in a movie or two, so I've seen Woo-ian. it before. Yes. And but all we remembered was 
whoa. Yeah. You know, and, and we kept seeing that and kept seeing that. And then you see this movie and you're like, this is a really good movie. It was a really good movie. Although, again, to bring it back to my feminist agenda about, you know, aggro male bullshit, there's a whole part of Reddit that's the red pill mm. Reddit. So it was, you know, a lot of a lot of dudes saw it. A lot of them were like, oh, yeah, you know. Anyway, if you go, I'm not saying go read that part of Reddit because oh, it's, God, a, bunch no, of, it's a bunch of fucking garbage. But, like, again came out of yeah. that movie. Even though Trinity is like one of the best parts. She's of the best part movie. of it. Carrie Ann Moss, uh, yeah. Moss is a badass. And then uh, number six is the Disney Tarzan movie, um, which I don't think either of us I knows. didn't see that. I, that was beyond me at Phil that Phil Collins beating out uh, the South Park song for the Oscar that year. Big Daddy with Adam Sandler. That movie was huge. I, I, I'd forgotten how big that movie was. Well, I think we saw it in the theater, and I was immediately excited because in the beginning of the movie, they use a Far Side song. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, yeah. I'm in. Yeah, movie's not too bad either. It probably I, have, I haven't seen it in years, but... Starring one Cole Sprouse, yes. who is now Jughead on Riverdale, now I'm ancient. Yeah, who is, whose uh, father in that movie is played by Jon Stewart. Yes. <laughs> And uh, that's, let's see, Leslie Mann plays the love interest. Mm-hmm. And I think, she has an age. Um, and I think uh, Christy Swanson is the ex-girlfriend. Maybe. Yeah. I don't remember that. I just remember it. the fact that she dumps him in the beginning of the movie and is, is hooking up with this like older guy. And he and I just remember the line that Adam Sandler says that his ex-girlfriend's going out with the Pepperidge Farm guy. So I just... <laughs> <laughs> um, Runaway, the Mummy was number eight. Runaway Bride, uh, number nine. Um, I think that was one of two Julia Roberts movies this year, because I think Notting Hill was either the year before or this year. Well, it was a big deal because it was the reunion of her and Richard Richard Gere. Gere. And then the Blair Witch Project. American Beauty wins uh, Best Picture that year. So much cinema and TV was influenced by that movie. Oh, yes. By the art direction of that movie, the cinematography, the mm-hmm. mood, the music. Yeah. It was like, I mean, like, obviously Six Feet Under was, you know, yeah, because it was obviously the same, yeah. the same creator. But, like, it's just so interesting. It was such a, it, I don't know if it gets the credit it deserves for being so influential mm-hmm. so uh, over so many pieces of media for, like, a decade. Yeah. And then you have, just of note, movies that were big... American Pie comes out, and that movie, that's another movie I saw like three or four times, which now is one of those movies where... Um, you just cringe. It, yeah, that, that whole scene with Shannon Elizabeth and them broadcasting her, yeah, but yeah, yeah, that is, yeah, that, yeah. That, that's Revenge of the Nerds level, cringy, like, wow, I just... Um, there are yeah. still some very funny parts of that movie and some very well-written parts of that movie, but for the most part, it's, there, there are some very... That scene alone, you're just... Well, and you know, it's like, that's the one thing that gives me hope that we are going to progress at some point because we can look back at those movies and acknowledge that they are problematic. Yeah. That doesn't mean yeah. you can't ever watch it. No, But no. just the fact that you can pause and be like, eh, maybe no. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. Um, Notting Hill, I, I mentioned. The South Park Bigger, Longer, and Uncut movie. That was hysterical. That I remember we went funny. and saw that and we were like, this is going to be dumb. Yeah. But it was... Fucking hysterical. Yeah. Stanley Kubrick's last movie, Eyes Wide Shut, which oh we my also God. saw. And we've only seen once. We actually have on DVD because he got me the Kubrick <laughs> box set years ago. Um, we saw that the same, because we were house-sitting for Tracy's yes. grandma. And our friend Tracy, her grandma had this cool little house in Alexandria. We yeah. were house-sitting because we didn't have anything else better to do. Yeah. We saw Ameri- We saw America Pie, I think, after Eyes Wide Shut. I think so. But I just remember, we saw Eyes Wide Shut at that little theater near the Krispy yeah. Kreme. Mm-hmm. And... 
the, we all know how the movie ends and you know whatever and I just remember the lights came up and we were both like the fuck What's was that, that? Yeah. like and then we went to dinner afterwards I'm like I don't even know yeah. I don't even know what he wanted well they were doing because they were doing like I remember very specifically because it was it was mid-July because I remember um, we watched the all-star game while we were mm-hmm. while we were there because I just remember the whole Ted Williams uh, Fenway or whatever mm-hmm. and um they were running the ads for Eyes Wide Shut, and they had two different types of ads. They had one where it was mostly, the score was mostly piano, it was just clips of Tom Cruise being all pissed. And then there was the Chris was Isaac Chris one. Chris Isaac for Baby Did a Bad, Bad Thing. And at one point, um, they started, somebody, the, the whoever was doing the marketing for American Pie cut a Baby Did a Bad, Bad Thing tra- commercial for TV with Jason Biggs looking at the pie. Yeah. And so I just remember that. they were So, yeah, we saw them, like, right after one another. That was the same year Varsity Blues came out. <laughs> and she's all that. I don't want your, your life. life. <laughs> um, and uh, I believe the... I, I believe the whipped cream bikini scene was parodied in not another teen movie on with your Chris boy. Evans yes. yes and then the um, only way it should be done I don't know if 10 Things I Hate About You came out in 99 or 2000 I think it came out in 2000 but that's yeah. another movie that yeah. this this wave of teen movies that really does still hold up well, very, very well again that whole culture like the young the yeah. boy bands the young teens the TRL the whatever it was it's, it was just very reminiscent yeah. of the teen wave that kind of came when we were kids mm-hmm. just like everything was yeah. teens yeah yeah and Seth Green was part of both of them. So, yeah, Seth Green's <laughs> in everything. Buffy. So, so one movie I do want to talk about before we head on to television, we'll talk about television probably a little bit more, because that was something, something that we both really can relate to, is Office Space. Yep. Because Office now Office Space... Um, Reflection of my soul. <laughs> famously tanked yes. at the box office. They didn't know how to market it. Yeah, they didn't it market just, it well it, at all. And, um, and it just, it was a bomb. And the... The, it has a reputation of being like one of the highest rented and highest selling. At the time it was, I think, VHS and DVD like home rentals because it just gained. It was much it was, like Showgirls, much like that, or cult or, classic. Yeah, it was a, a bona fide cult classic. And, and there have been a lot of those the nineties. Clerks dazed and confused, yeah. like these other movies. But Office Space was just this phenomenon that got this second life, and then it got like replayed on cable like crazy. Yeah, once Comedy Central yeah. started running it. So I remember seeing the. I remember the Milton sketches. Oh, yeah. From... Mike Judge. Mike Judge, which were on Liquid Television, but they would also play every once in a while on Center Night Live. Yes. And I remember seeing the ads. The ads actually did kind of look funny. I rented the movie early summer. I was at home. The printer beatdown scene was funny the first time I saw it. The rest of the movie, I was like, okay, this is funny. I remember it's about, like, oh. October, November, my friends had been quoting the movie like crazy. I went and rewatched it. And then you had just quit your job. Yep. And we sat down and watched it. And it was just one of those things where in the opening scenes with, with Lumberg, mm-hmm. and he's like, you know, I'm going to need you to come in on Saturday. Yeah. And like all that. You were getting Our angrier and angry. White hot anger. <laughs> I worked for a law firm my first job out of college and... I mean, it was, it just sucked. I'll just leave it at that. And it was just very much like, oh, we have young female labor. Let's just fucking exploit the shit out of that. And it, it, you know, it just, it it was shitty and awful. And so, yeah, I just quit. I quit because I had had, I had been sick 
mm-hmm. for like four months straight. And I just did not, I was not getting any better. And I was like, you know what, fuck this. I'm young enough, I can get another job. The perks of graduating into a, a thriving economy. economy. Yeah. yeah, so we sat down and watched it. So yeah, it's a movie that you will not appreciate until you have worked. Yeah. And it doesn't matter. You could work retail, you could work, you know, in an office, you could work you, you could work in academia, whatever. Mm-hmm. You you will appreciate it so much more once you've worked. Yeah, that's um I've always felt the same way about clerks and the Ryan Reynolds movie Waiting. Awaiting, yeah. Which um which I think is also another underrated one. Um but office space is Except just the, what's his name? Dane Cook is just uh, yeah, he's not if great. you can kind of ignore Dane Cook in that, which thankfully he doesn't have that. The best part is the kid from Freaks and Geese yeah. who just like goes, <laughs> goes off, off on, on everybody. Him. Yeah. Yeah. But office space just and, and of course, you know, the office and parks and rec come after it and mm-hmm. and I don't know if we if I, I don't know if you could truly say you have one without the other it might have been kind of independently developed but at the same time like this movie like you watch it now and it's just the same like nothing has changed yeah the technology has changed yeah but like you know but even then it just that whole struggle with the printer and mm-hmm. the and, and the perky lady who oh. has to take over cutting the cake yeah and yeah, I mean, like this stuff still happens. The weird, like, you know, the polit- you know, the political piece, or like, you know, just being so frustrated with your job that you're willing to commit a crime yeah. to get out of having to work. <laughs> the, the is this good for the company banner? Yeah. Uh, the, the bringing in the consultants, the the, the ones where everybody's wearing Hawaiian shirts, and it's just like, just everybody yeah, just that like, forced camaraderie. <laughs> yeah. Like if we all yeah. like if I say I have this, you know, if I say we have this event, then we're fun and yeah. everybody's having fun. There's nothing people love more than forced fun. Yeah. Well, and the pieces of flair at the TGI Fridays yeah. place, which um, incidentally caused TGI Fridays eventually to change their uniform <laughs> because it was such a such yeah. a bit. And Jennifer Aniston kind of playing a version of Rachel Green, but like allowing herself to be just yeah. The, the scene where she flips off everybody in the restaurant yeah. and stuff, and, uh, and it's then, just highly quotable. It's yeah. still highly memeable. Oh yeah. Like I mean, it's basically, you know, it, there are so many lines that like you could say it and everybody knows what you mean. Yeah. Like a case of the Mondays. Yeah, yeah. Or <laughs> you know, don't touch my stapler. Or <laughs> Dietrich Bader is his neighbor. Yeah. Hey Peter. Yeah. Check out Channel Nine. <laughs> Exam. Yeah, there are just a bunch of people like Stephen Root, man. He's yeah. if you see, I keep telling you, you need to watch Barry. Mm-hmm. Like it's a whole other side of yeah. Stephen Root, but like, yeah. Wasn't he on news radio right before? That I think so. Well? Yeah. I think so. Yeah. And the, the the soundtrack, the fact that they just used just all this Ghetto Boys yes. and yes. stuff like that, and it had the and best certain soundtrack. scenes in there, like the scene in the beginning where Michael Michael Bolton is rapping along and then he's you know he has to turn the music down it's just it it's it comes from a very very real place and, and a very like, snarky place because yeah. a lot of people could be like oh yeah you know you're gonna it's, isn't it cheeky to have like a rap soundtrack for a bunch of white dudes in an office but that scene where he's like all like you know thugging out in the yeah. car and then the you know the african-american people pull up and suddenly he's like oh i have to be like yeah. you know proper i think that's very I think that's that's a very good read on white appropriation of black <laughs> culture right there. You know, and even the uh, even the, the, the where you have the it, it it veers into the problem that a lot of comedies from like especially the eighties have, where like in the third act the plot gets in the way, 
It's just, uh, you know, like, you know, um, like, Better Off Dead kind of has that problem, like, where the, there's a whole scheme montage and everything because it's like, we have to resolve the plot. And Office oh, Space yeah. Has it's the plot of Better Off Dead <laughs> that makes it go off the rails. Yeah. That's exactly, it's but, the I mean, plot. But there are, a lot, there are a fair amount of movies from, like, comedies, especially from the 80s, where, like, they the jokes kind of slow down because they have, because there might be some sort of action involved in something like you know well that's what Hot American Summer yeah where it's like all of a sudden like all the storylines are converging and like there's all this shit happening and yeah yeah, I mean that's exactly kind of like you know so we kind of slow down so we can resolve the plot and then we have a joke and and, uh, it kind of happens off the space but even then it keeps itself like you know there are still some funny uh, funny bits at the end of that and everything but yeah, so that, that's kind of like our, our very brief look at movies. And I wanted to talk about Office Space at least at length because I think out of all the movies from 99, mm-hmm. you know, there are a ton. There are a ton of really good ones that I list a lot of good ones, but that's the one I think that we probably have come back to the most or at least referenced I was going to say, I, I quote that movie all the time. Mm-hmm. Randomly, the line I always use is, what am I going to do with 40 subscriptions to five? <laughs> I don't know why that's the line I always end up using, but... <laughs> building down. Yeah. yeah. I said no salt. <laughs> no salt in my burger. This is me expressing myself. Yes. And um, don't forget say hello to Lombard for me. <laughs> now, with television, because television was our third thing, and, and television is probably the, one of the things that we, like I said, we could talk about the most because I know that we graduated college and all of a sudden like you know we're unleashed into the world but what do we basically do every night we sit down and we watch television Mm -hmm. and and in a way that like you know we were we would turn on MTV still but we were watching network TV and the food network oh yeah but when we finally got it I think for a while we didn't have it on our cable service for better or worse Rachel Ray taught me knife skills yeah But I, I clipped the top 10 shows from 98-99 and then the top 10 shows from 99-2000. And I'm looking at it, and what I find interesting is that 99-2000 is like a landmark year because of the presence of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. Mm-hmm. And the following year, 2000-2001, you have that plus Survivor. Mm-hmm. And then the, the marquee reality shows. Because the reality television already existed. We had Real World and Road Rules, and we had... Stuff that was and you had game shows, you had game shows yeah. and things like that. And you and I are still going to do an episode on on Fox reality programs <laughs> because you have everything from cops to when animals attack to who wants to marry a millionaire to the Swan Paradise Hotel to Tation Island, like all this low rent shit that Fox pumped out. My favorite kind of show, but, yes. But if you look at the top 10 programs in 1999, you have ER Friends, Frasier, Monday Night Football, Jesse and Veronica's Closet were the in-between shows from, um, Je- Veronica's Closet was the Kirstie Alley show mm. that I think was between, um, it was like after Will and Grace or something. Yeah. Jesse was that Christina Applegate show that yeah, lasted for like two seasons or so, and yeah, that was like, I think the yeah. 830 show. Oh, really. But you know, you mentioned Will and Grace. Mm-hmm. Didn't Will and Grace premiere in I think it fall was, of 98 yeah it was fall of 98 it was our fourth year I could have sworn yeah is when it premiered yeah I think it got the Seinfeld slot yeah because Friends never moved from 8 o'clock after they no. ended at 8 o'clock no and then so Jesse and Veronica's Closet were tied for 5th and then 60 Minutes was at 7th Touched by an Angel which my sister loved what my sister loved her some Touched by an Angel shut uh, I'm not kidding. There, there. When I was going through all those tapes last year that I had grabbed Nancy my parents, Brett there were there were touched by an angel Pearson. episodes on 
on those cassette tapes. I'm like, I didn't take this shit. And I'm looking at them like, oh, wait, this is the Nancy taped. <laughs> Among Party of Five episodes and ER Your episodes. sister who can't stand church <laughs> loves... Touched by an angel. So was it the angelic stuff or Della Reese? I don't know. I don't I know. Really don't know. Damn, Nancy. Uh, the CBS Sunday movie was number nine for 98, 99. How was even that? I don't know what they were running. For all I know, they were running like those Hallmark movies before oh, the Hallmark God. channel. They no. might have been running like Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman movies and shit like that. Remember, it was CBS's... You know, when we hit when we hit uh, sixty five, we get the opportunity to collect social security, and then we are assigned to watch a CBS drama. Fuck that shit! I'm cutting the cord. Um, I'm watching Netflix. Home Improvement still on the air, number ten, and Everybody Loves Raymond was at number eleven. And then if you look at ninety nine two thousand, now what I find funny is that like so, ER, ER Friends, Frasier, and Monday Night Football are still in the same order, mm-hmm. but it's. Um, Four, five, six, and seven. Then at eight is sixty minutes. Nine is the practice. The practice. I used to love the practice. Yeah, that was a good show. It and was. then Touched by an Angel is a ten. Oh my god. One, two, and three though are Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. Nancy's keeping the whole franchise afloat. I know, I know. But Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Like, and that was in, um, and that show maybe like in the late summer, early fall because we weren't in. We were yeah. living in. I remember watching the one where the guy finally won the. And movie. he was such a smug ass about yeah. it. His name was John Carpenter, and I only know that because there's a horror director named yeah. John Carpenter. Yeah. Well, you know, because you had to watch it live. Yeah. It was in like American Idol. It was yeah. an event. You had to watch it live if you were going to watch it go down. So yeah, I can see why the ratings were high. They were looking for contestants, and you could call in to see if you could become a contestant. Like for the following week or, or something like that, and the line was like complete constant. I took it one time because mm-hmm. it, it it's a they did a mini quiz that you had to like answer by beep booping on the phone, uh-huh. and then they would get in touch with you. I guess if they were impressed enough by your quiz answers, because one time I did get through and I took I took the quiz. Yeah, but I never ended up on the show, so I guess yeah. my dumb ass just wasn't smart enough. And I think the show's st- I don't know if the show's still on because it, it went into syndication for a while. And Meredith Vieira was hosting for a long time. This is a really. Re- I think Chris Harrison is hosting now. Okay, yeah, it's, you know, I think so. That illustrious foundation of hosting The Bachelor. <laughs> Jesus, yeah. I guess if I guess if Mark Wahlberg can glow up. <sighs> Why not Chris Harrison? We're talking about Mark L. Wahlberg. Yes. He of formerly of Temptation Island and the current host of Antiques Antiques Roadshow on PBS. Classy as fuck. Yeah. Yes. Um, But this was the Regis Philbit. Like, Regis had... Oh, yeah. The man got a deal to put out a line of ties. Yeah. Because of this show. Because he was wearing, like, a... a, He launched a look. It was, like, a solid color shirt with the same color tie. Yeah, like, he he wasn't power clashing. He was power matching. Yeah. Yeah, so like that was a whole. I mean, this old ass dude launched a whole look. Yeah, but but Reese is like the perfect person to host this. Oh because yeah, he, he had the morning show, and, and I think second to Oprah. Yeah, is Regis and yeah. to, to a lot of that the demo that yeah. was that would you know pull in to watch a nightly game show. Yeah, and um, and it was really I think it was like I said we said it was like late summer early fall and it was just the perfect it was they they just they had something and I think it was I want to say it was a, wasn't a, it was probably adapted from a British game show I, I think so because that's when they kind of went on a run and remember they tried to have the weakest link yes be a show yeah. and yeah which which did work for a little while but I don't it was not as successful but then but the reality shows fared better Survivor and mm. then Big Brother. Which I think Big Brother's still on. Survivor's still on. Yeah, it's still on. We stopped watching ER around this time. The the last episode I remember watching 
was the the follow-up to where um, oh, what the heck is the name? The, the act this is the actor. He's, he's he was in um, he, he kills Kelly Martin. Character. Oh yeah, David. What's his face? Yeah, David. Uh, yeah, Crumholtz. Crumholtz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He kills Kelly Martin, which is funny. It's the only time I've ever seen him in a serious role because he's always like the the nebbishy Jewish guy in like a comedy. Wasn't um, he in that show like Numbers? Num- though, with Rob Morrow. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then he was he was in Ten Things I Hate About You. Actually, he was. Um, like the sidekick. The sidekick to uh, JGL's character. Yeah. yeah. And and I remember the last, that was the last episode I watched. That was a previous fuck episode, yeah, too. Because the follow-up was they were doing, they were trying to save, because um, he had stabbed Noah Wiley. Yeah. And they were trying to save both of them. And it's like the first, like, I want, to, in my mind, it's 15 minutes. It's probably five or ten and they do it without commercial, and they just go and go and go. And right before they go commercial to commercial, uh, Laura Ennis's character comes out of the ER, goes over to the bath uh, to a garbage can, bars, bars and yep. garbage can. And they go to commercial, yeah. and like it's almost like she's the audience at that point because that entire scene is just it just keeps going, yeah. keeps going. And I don't think we watched it after that. I think the we, last time I watched it was when. <coughs> Juliana Margulies or whatever, she ends up going and George Clooney. Yes, is George Clooney was the last yeah, scene. Yeah. I remember you seeing that episode, yeah. but I don't know if we were watching the episode. And then with Friends, we watched the whole. Shebang. We watched the whole thing all the way through. Yeah. And this was the follow up to. I remember the first year we when I got my apartment. You were in Australia. No. I, the Australian Olympics were and you were in Germany mm-hmm. and um, with Digital Now and yeah. um, that was when Monica was trying to choose between Richard and Chandler yeah because the, the season finale that was in May of 2000 is when Chandler proposes mm-hmm. the season finale of 99 had to be when Rachel was pregnant wasn't it? no because Rachel's pregnant when Monica and Chandler get married no. Oh, yeah. 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 No, it's Ross and Rachel getting married in Vegas. Yes, that's what it is. Because the previous season had been Ross saying Rachel's Rachel. Rachel, yeah, 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 yeah. It's just every single stupid finale was like a Ross and Rachel one cliffhanger for a while. Yeah, yeah. Um, except for that one season where like they tried to hook up Joey and Rachel. That was like one of the latest. That was weird, they yeah. Were, yeah. That was um, good. This was the season where Ronica and Chandler were sneaking around, that 98 99 season. And you have that really good episode where Phoebe keeps hitting on Chandler. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he's like, I'm so glad that we're going to have all the sex. <laughs> Why don't you take off that sweater vest? <laughs> oh, you're, uh, you're going? I'm not without you, lover. <laughs> So, this is my bra. It's very, very nice. Well, come here. I'm very happy we're gonna have all the sex. You should be. I'm very bendy. I'm gonna kiss you now. Not if I kiss you first. I guess there's nothing left for us to do but but kiss. 
Here it comes. <laughs> Our first kiss. I can't have sex with you. And why not? Because I'm in love with Monica. You're... You're what? Love her. That's right. I love her. I love her. Yeah. Is that the same season where it's Thanksgiving and Monica has a turkey on her head and Chandler says, I love you? Yeah, yeah. Or, or, or thereabouts because it was prior to them getting married. Yeah. Yeah, because that's what... And that's the thing. Like... Yeah, that I don't know if that's the same episode or what, but I just remember like like when he says I love you or whatever, Phoebe's like I didn't I thought you two were just sleeping together. I didn't realize yeah. you love her or something yeah. like that. I again much like the early odds episodes of Friends yeah. blur together. Well, because there's also the one the one season where um, they the previous season had been the one where she got pregnant, where Phoebe got pregnant. So they had the one of my favorite episodes with the quiz show. The one with the embryos. Yes, yes, yes. They had yeah, that yeah. thing. But then, um, but I think the 99, 2000 season might have the episode where Joey eats the entire turkey. <laughs> that way he's got all of his eating pants. Their the, pregnancy pants. pants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, then, and it ends with them, he, they're cutting the, the Yeah, come here real please. That's, yeah, we use that line God, We watched that show. Yeah. And we referenced that show. And, and I was reading something um, recently where somebody was saying how like, and, and I, I can attest to this, teenagers love watching Friends in the Office. And um, apparently Martin. Remember oh, when really? Tashina Arnold was on <laughs> Keep It and she was saying like, you know, teenagers are now starting to discover like Martin. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Living Single was the best. So if you're a teenager looking to discover something else, watch Living Single. I saw a few episodes of this show. The ones so I good. It was so yeah. good. Yeah. I'm trying to think of other shows because, like, you know, Monday Night Football is, is – it's funny how Monday Night Football kind of starts to tumble in the ratings and then eventually goes over. But it goes over to ESPN because NBC gets football back mm -hmm. and they establish – because Football Night in America and Sunday Night Football is, like, one of the highest rated shows still. Um, so they just kind of, like, took over for that. I always find it interesting how highly rated 60 Minutes is consistently. Mm -hmm. um, I, th I know very often, especially during the fall, the lead-in is an NFL game. Because mm -hmm. um, usually it's starting late. Yeah. Because the games run over. Yeah, but yeah. it is, it's still a very highly watched show. And then um, Everybody Loves Raymond, a show that, like, was... I think the definition of just like a solid performing show. Yeah. It was never bad. It well, was always it a really just a fun cast. show. Yeah. 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 And um, had one of the better series finales because they just did a, they just did an episode. There, I remember. I don't um, remember that yeah, at all. I just remember it being a half hour episode it. as opposed to a. Retrospective. Yeah, yeah, they did a retrospective special before it, but then they did a 30 minute episode that was just a straightforward episode of Everybody Loves Raymond as opposed to like, you know, mm -hmm. a clip show or something. But I'm looking at like, okay, so what ended this year was Mad About You, which had that oh god weird finale where they kept jumping in the future and Jean Garofalo played their daughter. the daughter and they kept showing Didn't Mad About You come back? Wasn't that another reboot? I don't. I, it had been rumored, but I don't know if it ever actually came back. Okay, yeah, because I could have, because I, because I was like, well, who's gonna? I don't know. Yeah. There, there are so many reboots mm -hmm. that keep coming. I just don't yeah. know. Melrose Place ended this year. We did watch that because yes. we were. I think we watched that. Me, you, and at Chris's. 
Oh, Megan. I seem to remember, I, I just, I remember one of the last scenes was Heather Locklear and Jack Wagner on a beach kind of like walking yeah. off into the yeah. sunset. I put now that another world ended and Passions started because yes. it's, it was very rare at that point. God, Passions was bad yeah. shit. Yeah, it was very rare at that point for a soap opera to end because the ones that were on had been on for yeah. a very, very long time. Mm -hmm. I think like Y&R and The Bold and the Beautiful probably were two of the newer ones Which at that point. Which is interesting too when you think about like the sort of the rise of the evening game show Yeah. and the decline of soap operas. Mm -hmm. You have to, you know, was that sort of the precipitation of, you know, the decline in daytime now where, you know, game shows used to be mostly on during the daytime along with soap operas. And so then, yeah. you know, in order to survive as a format, you start to infiltrate into the evening hours. I mean, like, look at ABC's summer, you, you, they've got reboots of Card Sharks and Match Game and Pressure, and Luck. Pressure Luck. And so, which is fantastic summertime programming. It's yeah. perfect. They had the pyramid. And so anyway, I think because a lot of people aren't, most people aren't home during the day, unless you're my dad watching judge shows. Well, the, this is the other thing. I, this is something else I was, and, and I, I'm sure we could do some actual research into this. You know, as we get toward the late 90s and then into the early 2000s, like, I don't want, I know it's a blanket statement, but I think, like, by then, everybody has cable. And, yeah. you know, so That's I think the, the fact that, like, there's more programming on is that, like, soaps become, that might have cut into the popularity of soaps because then you could have, like, constant reruns of shows and then you had networks like TLC and the Food Network. HGTV. Know, HGTV. Yeah. But like TLC, for instance. When they which, had like programming that was great yeah. or fun. But even then, when TLC became this, this sideshow yeah. of John and Kate plus eight and my 600 pound life and um, the, the Duggars. The, the Little People Big the little people, World. The Little People Big World and stuff like that. Where they were just, it was kind of like, let's exploit all these people and stuff. That almost became a soap opera in itself. Yeah. Well, that, yeah, that was the rise of the reality show. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. then, then eventually that would eventually lead Bravo to The Real Housewives. and. Well, The Real Housewives came out of Desperate Housewives and The O.C. The, so. the Real Housewives of Orange County, County was yeah. the original one. So the, you know, these kind of start replacing, this reality stuff starts replacing the soaps. But... Yeah, and Passions was bonkers, crazy bonkers. It was yeah. like somebody took that Marlena possessed storyline from Days of Our well, Lives and said, "Let's just make an entire soap." There was an evil doll. Yeah, that talks. <laughs> like, and I remember the the thing that they. So I'm going to tie it into another thing that you have that ended on this list, yeah. which was Susan Lucci's daytime, daytime winless streak. Yes. Because we sat and watched. With my parents in the hotel room the night before, grad the night before grad my graduation, and she won the daytime yeah. Emmy, and we were like, "Oh my god, it finally happened!" Well, the big one of the big marketing pushes for Passions is her daughter Liza. Mm -hmm. I think her name is Liza. Was going to be one of the stars of Passions. Yeah. The sad thing was, her daughter is not a good actress. So <laughs> she's no Susan Lucci. But um, that was one of the things they used to kind of market this new soap opera starring Susan Lucci's daughter. Um, so yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I, I did mention that Susan Lucci's daytime and maybe because it was like eighteen years in a row or something. It was like eighteen it was, or nineteen years in a row. And you know what? It was just fucking cruel. Erica Kane is the OG. Like I can't believe like she went through some shit on that show. There were some seasons where she was amazing and she kept losing to like fucking that blonde chick from Santa Barbara or whatever. <laughs> I can't remember her name. Or like Erica Slezak from One Life to Live. And I'm like, please. Erica Kane would eat you off for breakfast. So I was glad when she finally won. Yeah. 
while soaps were still relevant. Yes. So. Yes, because the daytime Emmys, I don't even think, air on network anymore. No. Because um, they, by the time that they, they've been canceling soaps, because those were the marquee awards for that show, because they also honored, like, um, uh, talk shows, talk and, shows, uh, children's programming, educational like program, like yeah. all the cooking shows on yeah. PBS would get like daytime yeah. Emmys and stuff like that. And I can't remember if this is around the time or if it happened later where Oprah finally pulled herself out of consideration for best talk show and best mm -hmm. talk show host because she kept winning it. Yeah. Yeah. So, it was around this time or, or a little bit after that. That's too. a, that's a flex. When you're like, I'm, so I'm going to, I know I'm going to fucking win it every year. So let me just give everyone a solid. We do everyone a solid, just pull myself out of consideration. Um, so I'm looking at what debuted this year. And we, at this point, there was still... Oh, God, I hate there, Family Guy. There were still six networks because you had ABC, NBC, and CBS. You had Fox. And UPN and, and uh, WB, WB were still two separate networks. The yeah. CW doesn't come along for a few years. And... I really like just the fact that that they they had a show and I think Jake Busey was in it called Shasta McNasty. Well, it was UPN, <laughs> yeah, it was right? UPN. Yeah, yeah, just the fact that that show existed just amuses me to no end. Yeah, Family Guy debuts this year, and I think because that show, I I can't stand that show. I'm like I can't Cartman either. in that one episode of South Park. <laughs> I hate Family Guy. Um, <laughs> and, you unbelievable son of a bitch. You never cared about the Muslim religion or the safety of people in America. You just want Family Guy off the air. Do you have any idea what it's like? Everywhere I go, hey, Cartman, you must like Family Guy, right? Hey, your sense of humor reminds me of Family Guy, Cartman. I am nothing like Family Guy. When I make jokes, they are inherent to a story. Deep, situational, and emotional jokes based on what is relevant and has a point. Not just one random, interchangeable joke after another! Because yeah, I'd, I'd only seen a few episodes when it first started coming on, but it kept getting cancelled and brought back, and then it eventually became what it, what it was. I don't think I ever watched an episode of Tenacious D, but I put this down because, you know, within a year we get Jack Black and High Fidelity, yeah. which is still one of my favorite... Um, Performances. Performances of his. Yeah. Futurama debuts this year. Oh, so good. Show. And one of our favorite shows from the yes. Home movies. Please watch if you I plead. I plead with whoever is listening to this. If you if you can get your hands on it or whatever, please go watch it. It's so yeah. good. Yeah. So um, I only mention the fact that SpongeBob SquarePants premiered this year because SpongeBob SquarePants has been around for 20 freaking years at this point. And you know what? It's, just, it's a surrealist masterpiece. Yeah. There are some very, very funny episodes yeah. of that show. I mean, you can't watch a marathon because yeah. his voice will make you want to stab somebody. Yeah. But if you catch an episode now or then, yeah. it's pretty funny. Um, so we talked about passions, and I'm, I'm going to skip... The, sh the show that's lifted under that. I'm going to go to a show, speaking of soap operas, late night soap operas, yes. that was on MTV at like midnight. Yeah, like or, or 11 really or something like late, that, yeah. Called Undressed. On the next Undressed. He's so hot. I don't care what I have to do. I've got to have him. Harry would never go out with me. I'm going to let you in on the secret of how to make guys totally fall for you. So it would get you really crazy turned on if Molly and I slept together? Al, you're in for one hell of a night. Get undressed tonight at 11.30.
Now, one of the most famous people to come out of this was Christina Hendricks because she yes. had a small role in, she did. in one of the stories. She played lines. a girl called Rhiannon. Yes. <laughs> and she had like blonde hair. Yeah, I yeah. think she's actually naturally blonde. Oh, and or strawberry blonde. Or strawberry yeah, blonde. Yeah, not as dark yeah. red as she is. Not as uh, Joan Holloway John, red. Yeah, Joan yeah. Holloway. But this was, uh, this was basically a soap that was people who were... It was like vignettes. Yeah, of, of later teen, early college 20s, student, early yeah. 20s students basically constantly hooking up. Yeah, like... Sexual escapades. Yeah, because there was this one with these storyline with these twins, and one like one of their girlfriend had mistaken her for the other one, and oh, okay. there was that because there was actually for for its time it was a pretty progressive show because there was there were gay characters yeah. on the show, and it was treated in a way that they were hooking up in the same way that all the straight characters were. So it was yeah. not a like a Dawson's Creek, like the character's gay, and that's the whole like him coming out as like yeah. the whole thing. It was just the character's gay. He hooks up with a guy, or yeah. she hooks up with a girl, and so for 1999, yeah, that was actually pretty progressive. I um, just remember there's that one couple that like what they like handcuffed themselves to the bed yes. and couldn't get out. They woke up handcuffed to the bed and they couldn't figure out how they got yeah. there. And so they, the whole thing was that they. they they fall for each other. They got to know each other before they got the handcuffs on. Yeah, so it was it was almost like it was almost like MTV does Skin and Max or something in some level. Or like just, Love Actually, but with boning. Yeah, yeah, and then later on they would try it again by adapting a British uh, show Skin. called Skins yeah. that I don't think did as well. No, it, it didn't do well at all. Too. Well, and if you just watch the British Skins, it's controversial and it's well done. Yeah. So you know, and like. Kids like Dev Patel was on the British version mm -hmm. and some other people. So yeah. that was around a time of a trend where they were they were adapting all these British game shows, but they were trying to adapt shows. And the only one, one of the few that actually really worked was The Office. Mm -hmm. Once they kind of got away from the original version of the show and they just kind of took it in its own direction, and the actors got to kind of improv more. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, they kind of yeah, got yeah. to be what they were, but at one point they tried to bring over um, that one show, I think it's called Coupling. Yes. And that tanked. Well, it was like just mini British Invasion. You had Spice Girls, yeah. you had Robbie Williams, yes. you had Simon Cowell, and mm -hmm. then so all these British game shows, all these British adaptations, you had The Office, and so, it, again, it was like, it was like another decade. Yeah. Another show that comes, so, so Good Eats premieres on the Food yes. Network. Yes! And, this was interesting because I discovered the Food Network because of you at college. Mm -hmm. Because the cable service you had in your apartment in Charlottesville your fourth year got what was then called TV Food Network. Mm -hmm. And I think it was only on at certain times of the day. I don't think it aired all day. Or it might have. There were there was a point where like it might have. Well, there was definitely a chunk in the e like the late evening where it became infomercials. Yeah. Yeah. But I remember we watched, we would watch like Emerald mm -hmm. and uh, Good Eats. And then as we got, you know, as we finally got, you know, we, we moved out and we moved in together. And then we, then our, our cable service, cable TV Arlington, and then oh, eventually Jesus Comcast Christ. got Food Network. I remember watching Emerald Live, Food 911 with Tyler Florence. <gasps> I, and we, we tried to get on that we show. We got interviewed for yes, that. We did. Yes. Uh, didn't get picked. No. And then Good Eats with Alton Brown, which is still one of the 
best shows ever to be on and that. And it's relaunching. They are, they are relaunching it. He had one of the best shows, too. He had, what was it called? Feasting on Asphalt. Yeah, it was great. Which was such a great travel show. You know, if you are a... If, I don't want to say foodie, because that word sucks. But, yeah. like, if you, you know, kind of grew up watching Food Network mm -hmm. or, you know, whatever... Or if you're a fan of like Top Chef and stuff like that, you should read the the Food Network uh, book. Oh, uh, uh, I read it last year. Um, something about heat or fire or something. Yeah. Anyway, if, if you just Google Food Network book, um, it's a behind the scenes. It's oh, it's almost like the ESPN book. Yeah. So like it's it, it's you know different personalities talking about like the rise of the network, the beginnings of the network you know, the the stars and kind of like how it's moved into something now that's a, not great. Yeah. Because, um, you know, it used to be, the reason why I used to love watching it, again, I'm an insomniac, it was so soothing to turn on, like, Ina Garten, mm -hmm. still love you, Ina, and watch her kind of, you know, blase, you know, bougie yeah. her way through a, a dinner party or whatever. Like, I, it was very soothing. <laughs> but even then you had, they also had, like, kind of travel shows on there because it was that, that half-hour show called, like, The Best Of, and it was, like, this, these two people uh, who, were, yeah, they went, who were clear, like, lifestyle reporters yeah. for, like, a, for, like, a... Um, Whoever, like, an extra TV Yeah, video, like, an extra yeah, TV thing going to, like, different cities. And then you had Rachel Ray's other show before she did... She was doing 30-minute meals, which, in its original... In, in, Carnation was actually kind of fun to watch sometimes because it, she was, it was well there was just something so fundamental about it yeah. it was like look I'm not here to make gourmet shit I'm here to help you get a meal on yeah. the table in a certain amount of time yeah. and compared to like Sandra Lee oh my god the semi homemade with Sandra Lee I love crazy Aunt Sandy she is batshit but like and I can look back on it with fondness now but when it first came on I was like legit offended yeah by her oh, we used presence. to hate watch that show she made some kind of like crab salad with canned crab. I'm yeah. like, are you trying to get people botulism? Yeah. Like, what are you doing? Well, and then the um the and I remember it was uh there was a television that pity uh was at its height in the early 2000s. Oh, that's and the they forum had, on the forum for show? television that pity was great. Oh and, my yeah, god. Yeah, I know this is a couple of years after '99, but I did I did want to at least mention the hate crime that is the uh, holiday episode. Oh, the Kwanzaa cake. The Kwanzaa cake. You can look that up on YouTube. <laughs> oh my god, it's so bad. But you know what? Everybody talks about the Kwanzaa cake, but you know that that freaking Hanukkah cake was yeah. just as offensive. <laughs> the Tiffany with that shitty she started. made a star of David out of like. Wired pearls. Yeah, it was so bad. I don't even think it looked right. Maybe, I mean, I haven't seen that episode in forever. We used to have it saved on our TV. Yeah, we did just, just as a, to watch as a joke. So, um, yeah. yeah, like, I I don't even think she got the Star of David right. I'm like, girl. Yeah. But Rachel Ray also had that $40 a day show where which she was traveling. Which was so fucking to, unrealistic, Which though. is unrealistic, although I will say that we went to... Uh, Charleston, South Charleston. Carolina, and we did go to like one of the places she went to, and the food was actually pretty good. That was Joseph's. Yeah, it was, really it was Joseph's. And then we went to uh, the other place that we went to in, in Charleston was the place at Tyler Florence. Magnolia. Florida, where, yeah. Which was phenomenal. Yeah, delicious. Um, I think that's where you first had collard greens. I did, because I, I had the fried chicken and had collard greens with it, and we had gone to another place a couple of days before that where I had shrimp and grits for the first time. Mm -hmm. So I can't remember where that was. I don't remember. Was it Hominy Grill, maybe? I don't it know. might have been Hominy Grill, yeah. yeah, yeah. But yeah, so like, but Food Network was just, I mean, back then, you're right, it was just, it was very soothing. It was almost like we watch, we watched the Create PBS spinoff. Oh, I love Create. Create now, which is like. Old school cookie shows. Yeah, the only, the only thing Create is missing 
is reruns of 90s era Martha Stewart Living oh, that used God. to run on the Style Network. I miss the Style Network. I used to watch it. I mean, speaking of 1999, I love yeah. the Style Network. You could get fashion television on there. You could get the shabby chic with the British woman yes. who sounded like she was on Quaaludes all mm -hmm. the time. You had, um, and you had Martha Stewart Living. So Fashion television, great. which used Animotion's obsession yes, in its closing credits. <laughs> I'd say 97% of why I thought it was great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I will always remember the closing credits to that. Bum, the, bum, 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 bum. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, so there were just some some fun things on cable, and then as you get into the early two thousand, like TLC would have like a wedding story and a baby story. Oh, I used to watch a shit out of those. And um, but that was on trading spaces. I think it was like two thousand, two thousand one. But stuff. I used to watch it during my summer break at, in college too. Oh, okay. So I think it wasn't as well not trading spaces like wedding story, baby story. Mm -hmm. Like it was yeah. in its infancy then. As you get into, I think, 2000 or 2001, Food Network, uh, it might have started earlier, Food Network did air the Japanese Iron Chef, yes. like, all the time. I used to watch that. Five years ago, a man's fantasy became reality in a form never seen before. Kitchen Stadium, a giant cooking arena. The motivation for spending this fortune to create Kitchen Stadium was to encounter new original cuisines, which could be called true artistic creations. To realize his dream, he secretly started choosing the top chefs of various styles of cooking. And he named his men the Iron Chefs, the invincible men of culinary skills. Chef Japanese is Masaharu Morimoto. Iron Chef French is Hiroyuki Sakai. Iron Chef Chinese is Chen Kenichi. And Masahiko Kobe is Iron Chef Italian. Kitchen Stadium is the arena where Iron Chefs await the challenges of master chefs from around the world. The Iron Chef and Challenger have one hour to tackle the theme ingredient of the day. Using all their senses, skills, creativity, they're to prepare artistic dishes never tasted before. And if ever a Challenger wins over the Iron Chef, he or she will gain the people's ovation and fame forever. Every battle, reputations are on the line in Kitchen Stadium, where master chefs pit their artistic creations against each other. What inspiration does today's challenger bring? And how will the Iron Chef fight back? The heat will be on! I remember one Thanksgiving, they did the Tired of Turkey Marathon on the day after Thanksgiving. We were at your parents' house and we watched like, I think like a good eight or nine hours of Iron Chef. We just watched it for a it's, It was just on it in the background, yeah. watched it. And then yeah. I remember, it might have been UPN, or the WB launched that American version where William Shatner was yes. the um, 
whatever the hell. The, 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 the chairman. The chairman. Them, yeah. And then, like, Todd English was the American chef yeah. and some other people. Yeah, and then yeah. eventually Food Network did launch its American And then chef. the next Iron Chef, yeah. which was so. a reality show. Anyway, you know what? Where I'm realizing we could probably do a whole fucking episode on Food Network. Yeah, we probably will at some point, so. So get ready for that, yeah. audience. <laughs> I'm just going to make a note of that. Sharpen your knives. Yeah. Let's go. In college, at least for me, with the television and, and especially in those last couple of years where you have like one television for five or six people and it's usually being occupied by a Sega Genesis or a PlayStation or something or The Simpsons or five straight hours of the same episode of Sports Center. But, um, but you get to the fall of 99, there are a bunch of shows, but two shows that did be the fall of 99, one which has a staying power, which is the West Wing. Yes. We watched The West Wing all the way up through, I think, the last... I think right after Aaron Sorkin left the show, we watched the movie for a little while longer, and then... If you enjoyed The West Wing, you should listen to The West Wing podcast. Hmm. I can't remember if it's called West Wing Weekly or something else. I'm, I'm blanking, but it's these two dudes, and they have, like, like Bradley Whitford will be on there, oh, and, like, uh, Richard Schiff, and, you know, so... And then the other show that was here and gone, and I have the DVDs downstairs, and my students, I, I show the show as part of my satire unit, um, is Freaks and Geeks, uh, which needs to get its own episode of this podcast. And uh, it's that that's a show that is the definition of brilliant, but canceled. And uh, I remember it was just it was just one of those shows they 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 buried it on Saturday night. Yeah. And they aired, I think, about half of the episodes. They burned it off in the summer. They never actually reared all the episodes of the show. But talk about a launching pad. Oh, my God. Yeah. Like Paul Feig had, you know, who now directed Bridesmaids and the Ghostbusters remake and um, has a couple of other movies with Melissa McCarthy in it. There were a couple of other ones. And then you have Judd Apatow being the executive producer. And I remember the name Judd Apatow because I had been one of, like, the three... Like regular watcher fans of Ben Stiller show back in the early um, 1990s, yeah. which I also have on DVD. Which was also a launching pad. Yes, yeah, it's also a launching pad. And because all four people off of, I mean, people know who Andy Dick is, although Andy Dick. Oh, is but you have but Ben Stiller show launch Ben Stiller, Gene Groffalo, Andy Dick, and Bob Odenkirk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this show had um, John Francis Daly. We mentioned him for bleeding, yes. but he wrote Spider-Man Homecoming. Yes. Um, and he was on Bones for a very long time. And then, of course, Linda Cardellini. Yeah. Is, she's in the show, was it? Dead, Dead to, to me. me. With Christina Applegate. And she's uh, the wife of an Avenger. Yes. Hawkeye's and, wife. Yes. Then you have Seth Rogen. Mm-hmm. James Franco, who... Ugh, Read it. Was it last year or the year before? I don't remember what I was reading. Um... Some interview with Busy Phillips, and she was saying like what a dick James Franco was to her to the point where like the producers had to intervene. And the whole time I'm reading it, I'm like, not surprised. You know what that actually sounds like? Um, another teen thing. The story of how Judd Nelson was in character the entire time he was on the set of The Breakfast Club to the point where... <laughs> Is this like where Jared Leto was in character as the Joker? Yeah, like we're to the <laughs> point where like Paul Gleason, who played Mr. Vernon the principal, oh, yeah. intervened on like Molly Ringwald's behalf to be like, you know, basically like cool it off because dick. you're being an asshole to her. Yeah. Um, and so like that kind of reminds me of that. And I, I'm not surprised that knowing the other stories we've heard of James Franco, I'm not surprised that. But you, Busy yeah. Phillips was on the show 
Um, Jason Siegel. Star. What's his what, what's oh, his first Martin name? Star. Martin Star was on. <laughs> yeah, Martin Star. Bill Haberchuk, one of the best characters to come out of that. Now playing show. a high school teacher on the Spider-Man movie. Yeah, because he's the debate coach and he's the academic coach in Spider-Man. So again, we're all officially yeah. ancient. <laughs> but we watch um, so I show two episodes as part of the satire unit. I, sh I show the pilot episode, which I probably really don't need to show, but I showed it really does set up everybody, and it is a really good, it is a good send-up of high school and of high school-like stories. And this scene where they, him, Sam, uh, not Sam, uh, Neil and Bill and, and the other guy show up to beat up the bully, and he's like, what do you do? He's like, we're kind of here to kick you. <laughs> They lose it every time. And then I show them the Looks and Books one, which is the one where um, Sam goes to the disco store to buy yeah. the Parisian Nights, and he's like, do you want to be a stutter, a super stutter? Bill's going, super stutter Sam. <laughs> what? And am I recalling, I haven't seen the show in a million years, but there's some instance where he's wearing like a blonde woman's wig. He dresses up as the bionic woman. The bionic woman, Hollywood. that's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh god, that show. And then of course, like the the other the other thing whenever we watch that show is um Tom and Seth Wilson, Biff Tannen plays the gym teacher and they have the dodgeball scene and they you know, he shows up and he's he's doing the asshole gym teacher and I always point out I'm like yeah. that's Biff Tannen from yeah. Back to the Future. So yeah, so that was just another show that came out in ninety nine because there were a couple other shows. There was a show because they, they tried to get Dawson's Creek had come out a couple of years earlier, so they were trying to constantly re replicate the success of like Dawson's Creek and Buffy, and there were some shows that would premiere on like UPN or CW or whatever, or not CW, the WB that would were here today and gone tomorrow, and there was one on Fox. I want to say it was called like Get Real. Oh yeah. And Anne Hathaway was in it. It's the only oh, thing was she? I, yeah, I think okay. Anne Hathaway was, it was yeah Anne Hathaway was in it, and that was about you know and and from I think it lasted maybe half a season, but then there was like uh, Gross Point was another the name of another one, and there were, just Popular was the name of another one, and like some of them lasted Yeah, but yeah, Popular is noteworthy because it's a Ryan Murphy yeah, show. Yeah, and I think that was, wasn't that the one that was a little more meta than another it one? Was, or, it was a little darker. Yeah. It was darker. Yeah. So, but that was that was like a huge trend in TV in, in, in there, and then, um, you know, as you get into, into 2000, in the early 2000s, you have... Um, the rise of these shows that were not like hugely rated, but they were like cult popular, like you know, for the, sort of for the second half of the 2000s, you have like Lost, which was, you know, you don't think Lost was a hit? It it was it was very popular, but I don't think it was making like CSI numbers in terms of the rating share and things like that. And you had like the Office of Parks and Rec and things, which Parks and Rec which, was always in danger of being canceled. Yeah, which they were they were the fact that it went seven yeah. seasons is a miracle. You had a lot of these shows that were like steady performers, but like you know you had on CBS yeah, shows well, like CSI and and, oh, yeah. and all these other shows, and they were the ones that were like dominant in the ratings. So you, but like Thirty Rock, for instance, Thirty oh, Rock. Yeah. Thirty Rock was another show. You, that do, you just had was, the, you had the quirky. Yeah, the quirky shows where they, they hit in their certain demos and things, and you had yeah. a lot of that stratification of like you know, it's not getting, it's not getting like Seinfeld numbers. Yeah, but nothing was going to get Seinfeld numbers. But what was interesting to me is that um, so. Um, that show Jesse with Christina Applegate, which was number tied for number five in its first season, I think it only lasted like two or three seasons. And I think after the first season, they completely retooled it. 
And it's like, that show was the number fifth rated show on television. Well, it's kind of like that episode of Keep It with Whitney Cummings, Mm -hmm. who was, uh, I think I'm saying her name right. Yeah. And she was saying, like, when her failed sitcom, Whitney, yeah, yeah. she was like, yeah, we were only pulling, like, a some number, I don't remember. And she's like, which nowadays people would kill for. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just, again, an indication of, you know, TV ratings are not, especially now that they had to start counting, like, DVR recording numbers. Yeah, because, yeah. you know, people don't, people don't watch TV the way they used to. Yeah. So it's interesting, like, yeah, like, a show that was quote-unquote a failure and had to be retooled or whatever, whatever her, whatever that ratings were of that show, people would probably die for right now yeah so yeah. and then of course like and you had the rise of prestige television yeah you, you had like amc taking yes you know a lot of eyeballs away and well, hbo and, and yeah well and and um you know the, the prestige television in that two shows that debuted around this i think the year before that were the, like the sopranos, sopranos and yeah. sex in the city both yeah. debuted the year before that so um and then, you know, and then we kind of close out. We talked about how, you know, how demographics change. We talked about millennials and stuff. And, 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 and an unfortunate, unfortunate event is an understatement, a very tragic event that happened in, in, in 1999 was Columbine, mm-hmm. which we are still dealing with in some regard. We have learned nothing. We have never learned nothing from. And, um, and we, and I just remember, and I was like, not to like, I was, I was thinking about this this morning because I was try, kind of going through some, trying to think about like, you know, uh, what we're going to talk about. And I remember that Columbine happened. We were still at school. Yeah. I came home from class and um, I think Dennis was watching TV and it was on. And so we just sat there and watched it for a while. And I remember that my very last, the very, very last issue of the school paper came out like very soon after that. And I, the two pieces I had in that last issue were my last column, but I also did an op-ed about how what's going to come of this is the usual blaming that we get mm-hmm. from everything and they're going to blame the media and they're going to blame movies or whatever yeah. and and it was just I just remember and it gets frustrating because it, it, we it just keeps they blame the matrix they blame the matrix yeah. and they blame Marilyn Manson yeah and it was just like you know and you're sitting there as somebody who as teenagers who live through the whole like mortal combat is going to destroy your kids thing and 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 a, and a generation that was blaming these things and had rock and roll well, blame on everything metal, and heavy yeah. metal it's like Judas Priest you learned nothing like this was yeah. never you know so. I mean I think there is something to be said for messages mm-hmm. of violence misogyny whatever you get so numb to them that you accept them as the norm again like with the that the the new wave of feminism that kind of came out of like these young, these mm-hmm. Gen X women, by myself, these young millennial women, um, about you know, oh, I put up with shit that I probably wouldn't normally put up with, but I own it. Yeah. You know, like I'm owning it, and it's like just just because you've convinced yourself that you've owned it does not make you a feminist, and it does not mean you should be treated that way. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I, so there is something to be said for that. But you're right. Like Mortal Kombat itself, even if you, I played hours of Mortal Kombat, yeah. I have managed to not cut someone's head off with a fan yeah. as much as I've wanted to in my life. So <laughs> you know, a lot of times that media is just like an enhancer or an easy, an easy thing to yeah. blame. I think when you, you know, when you look at the systemic messages that young men receive, 
that is a lot more dangerous and it's not necessarily coming from a video game. It's coming from your parents and your community mm -hmm. and the patriarchy and, you know, misogynistic, racist things that have been ingrained in this country for hundreds mm -hmm. of years. So let's blame that. But also, I can't remember which one it was, whether it was uh, Dylan Klebold or the other kid. One of them was like a textbook, like psychopath, like a, like, like a, like a, well, not a psychopath, sociopath. sociopath. Well, well, that was one of the things that, and, and uh, a journalist for the Denver Post, Dave Cullen, wrote a phenomenal book on, on Columbine. And um, one of the things he gets into, and this is, this is something that, that frustrated me to no end as, as, you know, as the years went on. Neither of them, the, the narrative that came out of that, because other school shootings had happened, and a lot of the narrative from those was that here was a kid who was going after specific people who had been bullying him. In this case, these two were not being bullied. It was not that narrative, but the media spun it that way. And people keep perpetuating this notion that these two were were being bullied and, and the, but it was no that like they were doing this for the attention and the fame and just if you read like how it went down and what their original plan was and and how that kind of went sideways and and it's just it's it's horrific but you have this one who's a psycho this total sociopath and kind of drew the other one mm -hmm. into him and what what I get frustrated I was frustrated then and for still frustrated is the complete lack of nuance in the discussion of what influences people yeah because we have seen we were still talking about today of studies of how much social media influences people how games like in this case Fortnite is the is the is the one that's come along our place World of Warcraft has come along our place whatever and how is that like affecting the minds of, of young people you know when they're in their socialization lack thereof and 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 there's a, yet another study comes out. Well, you know, this is it, there's a very binary way of thinking about these things. Where like you know, a study comes out and says, well, it actually doesn't do anything, and you're kind of sitting there reading an article about it because it was in like the Times or something the other day. I'm sitting there going, that's kind of bullshit because it does, but not on the level that like is as stark as you want it to be. And the but, but unfortunately, we are in a social media age where nuance is completely out the window because nobody wants to actually sit down and talk about like the very, very intricate ways that these things influence us and don't. And when we do, you know, where we don't want to do it in the form that we're provided because we want to, we want to either yell at people or we want a virtue signal or we want to just like have like something that will get retweeted a million times and a, and a very intelligent argument doesn't often get there. And that's, and, and we were seeing that 20 years ago too. Well, and I think at the heart of anything, right? Like, like you're saying, what influences people and what doesn't, social media and whatever. If you are a sociopath, you will find whatever channel you need to mm. exploit um, to achieve what you want. If you are vulnerable, whatever channel you're using that you know you can be taken advantage of, you will still be taken advantage of. Like yeah. vulnerability and sociopathological tendencies are as old as time. Yeah. Like. There will always be someone who wants to take advantage of someone else and wants to, you know, do terrible things to people. And whether they're watching The Matrix or listening to Judas Priest or playing Mortal Kombat or, you know, going down the red pill mm -hmm. forum on Reddit or whatever, those things are always going to exist. Now, that's not to say that when you that the internet hasn't provided more and more places especially for young men to be perpetually angry perpetually paranoid yeah. 
you know, believing in conspiracy theories because there are plenty of forums where if you never, if you want to shut yourself off and just have that in front of your face 24 hours a day, you can. You and I were just talking about the article that came out about young men who are having problems performing sexually because they're watching so much porn because porn is so much more available. So I think... Not necessarily influence, but I would say... So isn't the term like confirmation bias or something? Well, there's confirmation in there. bias in terms of like, <coughs> you will seek out things that in your mind prove to you that you're right. Yeah. And anything that threatens that, it's what's interesting, and again, this is what the whole notion of like, you know, don't get into an argument on Facebook because it's not going to help anything. Because, it, you know, those who have high confirmation bias, when someone does try to point out a fact... Or say something like, you know, hey, that's actually not true, and here's the source that says it's not true. Mm-hmm. Instead of saying, oh, let me think about that, then you, you just double down. Yeah. You double down, and you're like, no, my opinion is right. Fox News has said that this is so, and so it is. And so again... And we see that on both sides of the coin, too, because we have friends who are of the same political... We do. political we us, who will just shout you down if you try to just yeah. say, hey, you know... Yeah, there may be areas of gray here. Just because it's gray doesn't mean I, I'm saying that like something that's morally wrong isn't wrong. Yeah. But, but yeah, so so I do think that you know in terms of influence and what have you, I do think it is easier than ever to shut yourself off and hold yourself up around some very toxic people, toxic messages toxic environment and you know you're not really if you you know the the joke about the guy who never leaves his parents basement Mm -hmm. well you know there are people who are on these forums and that's their social interaction that's where they're and then they're watching fox news and those things are getting reiterated they're reading reddit they're reading 4chan they're you know looking at dank memes on twitter you know or whatever it's just it's so much more prolific like, let's say you're a racist and you hate black people and Jews and whatever. And back in the day, you had to go to a Klan meeting. You had to get up, get in your car, go well, to was, a Klan meeting you, and talk, see other people in person. You had to do all this shit. Well, now, if you kind of just might be a little racist, you can find forums. You can yeah. find Reddit. You can find Twitter. Like, you can find stuff to not only confirm your your initial inclinations, but to militarize your thinking, you know, take it beyond anything else, and then give you tips on how to act on your hate. Well, yeah, because and it's it, prolific. Because it, um, because one of the best documentaries from a couple of years ago on PBS was the Road to Oklahoma City. It was Timothy. It was the whole yeah. path of Timothy. McVeigh through Ruby Ridge to Waco to Oklahoma City and that's the early 90s and that's that is that finding a meeting finding an underground publication and through the mail and in a very slow process but these groups were out there and what what you're talking about here is the same thing but it's just amplified and it's accessible without having to actually make an effort to find it beyond yeah throwing you know it's just it's within instantaneous as opposed to right you know really having to do the work for it and it, and um and you have um that that fuck that just got sentenced um last week for you know for running down heather higher right um you know is 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 mcveigh 
yeah. in this is is McVeigh yeah. today. We watched it and, go down in Charlottesville. We yeah. watched a bunch of yeah. um, radicalized young, yeah. mostly young men. Now there were women there, so I'm not trying to like say women were virtuous. You know, they, they weren't involved. There were women there who were proud to be there on the wrong side of history and many other things. But yeah, this radicalization and it gets and it's accelerated because oh. they don't have to go out in public. Like it's gonna, you're gonna get all the tools you need to be a hateful, terrible person who does terrible things. And it's not even necessarily about influence; it's about access. And you know, when you have to, because there was also that great article about the kid who grew up. He was the son of the guy who founded like the Daily Stormer or whatever. Mm -hmm. I'm not fully familiar with Nazi propaganda, sorry. And it, you know, it wasn't until he went to college and like this Jewish guy at college kept inviting him to dinner and he was like, well, I'll go, but you know, whatever. And it completely changed his mind because he got out of that site. Like he was supposed to be the second, he was supposed to be the next, you know, whoever, Andrew Breitbart. I don't know, but like but he yeah, was, he was supposed to be the he was supposed to be the, the heir apparent. Yeah, the heir apparent to this other guy who was a huge like you know KKK participant, whatever. He was supposed to be the next wave to recruit the young people into this mm-hmm. next wave, of whatever. And you know he he got out of the bubble and ended up you know completely you know d- denying his quote unquote heritage. And so again, it's proven. That when, especially Americans, when we travel, mm-hmm. when we get out of our, you know, bubble, we are better for it. We are more open-minded. We are more open to other cultures. Well, unfortunately, technology is making it, it's not opening new worlds the way Al Gore wanted it to. <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it's actually making us lonelier. And then when you look at, especially, and I know it sounds like I'm picking on men. I'm really not. I think the thing that's hard is, you know, again, talking about vulnerability, knowing how hard it is as an adult in general to make friends and and maintain friendships while you're trying to work and have a family and whatever else. It's especially hard for men because men have not typically been raised to have emotional intimacy with other men. And so it's hard enough to find friends. So let's think about this. You're vulnerable. You're lonely. The only thing you really have access to is this internet, which is heavily flawed. Mm -hmm. And somebody preys upon that. So again, you've got the sociopathological tendencies, sucking in the people who are vulnerable, radicalizing that, and then turning that into tragedy. That... That's not coming from a video game. Well, and then then you have, um, to bring it back to Columbine, there was an article uh, recently in the Washington Post, I think it was I saw it on the Post, um, about how the the principal of of Columbine High School or or one of the boards of educated people is is, is seriously thinking about whether or not they should tear the school down. Because in recent years, it's become... Well, that was that girl that was obsessed with it, remember? (laughs) Yeah, it's become... There's been one or two things. You get gawking tourists... Ew. Um, you get gawking tourists right around every April 20th. They get the the police department every April gets call after call after call after call. And something that's been way more amplified in recent times because of shit like Alex Jones is the conspiracy nuts. Yeah. And there, and it's the, the point where it's becoming, you know, where it wasn't like that for the first few years. And then all of a sudden, because of... Sandy Hook and other things, it's like, you know, let's look at Columbine as this thing, so there's people who want to emulate it, there's people who want to call it, like, a fake thing, and it's just like, 
well, it, it's be, it's become this thing that originally, like, you know, it was, we're going to be strong, we're going to go back to the school, and we're going to, you know, this didn't destroy us, but now they're like, you know, what's the use of having this around if it's just going to constantly, we're going to constantly be bombarded by these people. But the sad thing is, yeah. it's so commonplace now. What are you going to yeah. tear down every fucking school, movie, theater, well, the workplace? And it's such yeah. a... It, it, yeah. it's such a tragic thing that nobody will fix. Yeah. What are you going to do? Tear down every single fucking building? Well, and, and we see that, and, and there was, a, so there were, other, there were other issues that came out around, you know, that time that were having some of the same problems 20 years later as we did. Like, you know, we had, the Clinton impeachment was yeah. early 1999 and season two of Slow Burn oh my God. was so good. And um, the other thing I would watch, I would watch along with Slow Burn is Monica Lewinsky's TED Talk, which mm-hmm. is also very, very good. And it give it gave me a perspective on that that I didn't have right. back in nineteen ninety eight and nineteen ninety nine. Again, it's another thing where it's not necessarily watching an old movie and being like, oh, in the light of day yeah. or in light of present day, it's problematic. Yeah. It's having a point of view where I mean, I think you might agree. The narrative when it was happening was this was something that happened between two consensual adults. Yeah. And so yes, he got a blowjob in the White House. Why <coughs> you know, why is this such a big fucking deal? Yeah. Can the star is this like zealot which he is, um, going after this goal yeah. and this other thing and Newt Gingrich and all that shit. But the at the heart of it I was like, they were two consensual adults and Hillary made her choice to stay with him. Yeah. It's not my business. It has nothing to do with how the world's being run. Yeah. So what a bunch of bullshit. Which there are parts of that I still think. But when you listen to Slow Burn, I, I haven't seen her TED talk yet, but you know, when you listen to Slow Burn and you start to see, especially in the light of Me Too and all just, mm-hmm. you know, being a grown ass woman and not wanting creepy ass men to be up in your grill. It, it it does form a completely different opinion. I I still think the impeachment was kind of bullshit, mm-hmm. but Monica, I felt I, you feel for her. Her yeah, life and, is never going to be yeah. the same. She was the butt of jokes, and she was a very young woman, and he was a very powerful man. Yeah. And the balance of power was just never there. Yeah, and you forget the fact that she and I even had forgotten the fact that she was only she's only a year older than we are. Yeah. Or, or a year or two older than we are. Well, and she just seems so much older because yeah. she was, you know, in this kind of like worldly scandal. And you mm-hmm. were like, oh, mm-hmm. yeah, you didn't. I mean, we were we were 21. That, I mean, think about all this. I was such a dipshit when I was 21. Stupid shit you do in your early 20s. Yeah. I mean, come on. Well, and, and her, her TED Talk, I believe, is called like The Price of Shame. And it yeah. is about... You know, it is about that, but you know, the, the, the gaining a little more perspective on that and, and, and the, and, and not look and again, the, the, a lot of the slut shame that went on in her direction and, and, and like thinking about that now and being like, and, and really regretting that. And, and, but, but in the same time, when you're in your college bubble yeah. of, of that and, you know, and you're around your you're not, you don't have to think outside that particular box. And I think one of the things that, that we benefited from when we were in, um, we were in Washington, D.C. in the late, in 1999 until we moved away in about 2004, was I think, at least in my, from my perspective, I stepped out of that bubble in a very, very big way because I grew up in a very, very white suburban middle class bubble that in in many ways was way, way more conservative than what you know I would see when I you know when I finally you know moved out and I went from that to 
Loyola College in Maryland, which was basically, you know, the college version of a private Catholic school, which was a little more liberal than, say, Liberty University. It was more liberal than that. I mean, it, it still created a bubble. Mm-hmm. And and you could very well go from that to back to the world from which you came. And you could, and I've seen some of the people I went to college with, never left that bubble. Yeah. And, and, and in my case, like, I'm very grateful for the fact that I, you know, worked in D.C. in the D.C. area for so long because, you know, and, and then I think in, in my case, um, in, in becoming a teacher, like, to teach a very wide swath of, yeah. you know, of of students. I honestly, like, you know, not not that, like, I'm, not, I'm trying to pat myself on the back, but, like, you know, those experiences, I think, inform, like, you know, a worldview that is, like you said, that is almost akin to traveling if you can't mm-hmm. afford travel because you do get out right. of that and you do see things. And as a white, middle-class, straight, cisgender, cisgender male, yes. you learn the greatest skill that you could ever learn, which is to just... Say nothing. Say nothing and observe. <laughs> I'm not kidding. It is just, I, 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 I find myself doing it more and more on like Twitter. I find myself doing more and more just kind of in the world like where you, you observe and you listen. Mm-hmm. And when you do that, you, because you don't necessarily always need to interject your opinion. You can do it in your head if you want to, but it, it helps inform your opinion. It helps, like it, it becomes an education. I think that's something that, that started with, my moving out of my parents' house when I was 22 years old, mm. you know, in, in a big, big way. And so that's, that's why, that's why I like looking back, like this is such a monumental year because like, you know, pop culture wise, it is, it was a big year because it was just a lot of big stuff that came out. Mm. But then, then again, it was also just like, there was a lot of disposable stuff. In there. Well, I think yeah. there was, you know, I know you have Y2K written oh, down 2K, here. Yes. You know, there, there was that, <coughs> you felt like you were on the precipice of something, yes, right? Yes. Like we were about to get it. We were about to, move into a new millennium and mm-hmm. you know it's the year 2000 and who knows what kind of beep boop space technology is going to come with all this this new century and all this stuff so yeah i think a lot of a lot of it felt like you were on you were on the precipice of something because you're starting your adult yeah. life and and who knew that 18 years later we get to watch mark zuckerberg apologize to congress because he's the same kind of douchebag guy who we would have went to college with yeah. <laughs> who who didn't really apologize he just kind of like offered up excuses for being a stupid fucking t- <laughs> Yeah, man. I don't know when his wife sees in him. I'm just like, girl, you could do better. But you're right. It was, and the Y2K thing was always interesting because of the um, the doomsday prepper stuff. Oh and the, god! It's and like the, everybody thinking like all of our electricity was going to shut off with yeah. the stroke of midnight, yeah. and yeah. That's that. There, that's a Treehouse of Horror episode where, where they're on the rocket to the Homer Simpson causes Y2K. Yeah. Yeah. And all the planes are falling out of the sky, yeah. and then they just—it ends with him and Bart, like because they're on the rocket to the sun, and Rosie O'Donnell's like, yeah, clang, 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 with the trolley. And they just decide to eject and just like, yeah. blissfully. It was such a, it was such a weird year. I didn't know what I wanted to do, and I felt like I had to get a job. And the the thing that that I learned really could have been. I hate to be like, nobody told me this because I hate that complaint. But the thing that it, it took me a while to learn and I learned in hindsight was that I would have been okay just graduating college, figuring what I wanted to do, and then going and looking for a job after graduation. Because the job in the field, the job, the entry-level jobs in the fields 
or field that I eventually kind of make my way to and I eventually did go into marketing. But it, I started as a copy editor and things like that. Those entry-level jobs were like one-ad jobs. Mm-hmm. You, know, you would find it, you would send your resume. They wanted you to start on Monday. They weren't recruiting you in March or April. And the only reason I got the job that I got was because I felt the need to have a job out of college or else, I don't know, it was going to reflect on my parents badly or something. It's just kind of a complex I've had where it's like, you know, God forbid I don't, you know, check all the boxes or something like that. And that was one of the reasons I took that job. You know, granted, I also wanted to get the hell out of Long Island and, and getting a job at EC was one of the other, you know, one of the other reasons. But, you know, I was kind of, you know, it was a government job and I just, it was just not a, a fit for me. So, and I well, was pretty And I think that. the thing, and, you know, to bring it back to office space, mm-hmm. one of the most freeing lines is when Jennifer Aniston is like, Peter, nobody likes their job. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, you don't have to be in love with your job. Yeah. Like, your job is just your job, right? Yeah. Like, nobody's first job is a job they're going to have forever. And I think that's where, you know, my biggest piece of advice to anyone or past me or whatever would be like, look, it's a journey. It truly is. You're right. It wasn't until like job hopping through most of my 20s, and we both did that because mm-hmm. we either quit our jobs to go to other jobs because the jobs we were in, you know, you you quit yours sooner than I did, but I quit mine because I was like, I can't do this anymore, and I was just miserable. So I went to that, and then I got laid off, and you got laid off, and then got another job, and got another job, and you know, I got laid off again, and you know, so you end up with like I think by the time we moved here at at the age of what like twenty seven, we'd each had like four jobs or worked for like four different companies because I'd had three. Yeah, and 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 I had like four, but but after a while, you realize you kind of realize that it's like you know I just I'm I'm working. Right. You know, and and you know the, the reason that you're happy you have a job sometimes is because you can pay your rent. Right. You know, things like that. And I know, actually and it's a lesson that you learn over the course of your of your early twenties. And I know I'm an old crone who's dead inside, but I think the most valuable thing you can think to yourself, and the sooner you can learn it and embrace it, the better off you will be, is being in love with your job is actually dangerous. Because when it disappoints you, when it gets difficult, when you run into an obstacle, it's devastating. Mm-hmm. Or when things that happen outside of your circumstance happen that affect you negatively at that job, it's devastating. It has happened to me twice. I have been deeply in love with a job twice in my life, and both times circumstances beyond my control happened that led to me needing to leave the situation. I mourned these jobs. And just the sooner you realize, you know what, try to just find that happy medium. You don't have to love it. You don't want to hate it, yeah, obviously. But, you know, yeah. can you can you walk away from work every day feeling like, you know what, I did some good work today. Mm-hmm. I helped somebody. I completed something. I, you know, I was able to have a service mentality in my job. And that's okay. Well, and this is on top of the fact that back in 1999 and 2000, 2001, 2003, or whatever, we started to approach jobs like that. But at the same time, the idea of also self-care and mental health care oh, yeah. and things at least to me was not as upfront as it was non-existent you know, it was it was just not there yeah and the idea that 
anxiety, depression, these things were not something we talked about. Like we might've talked about in times where we were just like, just really at our wits end with, with certain things, but it was not something that we talked about like in the everyday until it started to become more commonplace or more addressed or in some cases, we just started seeing more con commercials with that sad rock from Zoloft and things like that. And then in coming out of college in, in 99, in my senior year of college, academically was really good. Socially was I, you know, present company excluded. Like, you know, I really think that- <laughs> Boy, like, that bitch you were you know, dating, no, what a nightmare. I mean, like, I mean, yeah, but, like, but like, everything outside of you was like a shit show. And I was so fucking done. And, and so there was that. And then getting out of there and, and really feeling, even though I had a job lined up and I got an apartment and everything, and you know, we were together, there was a sort of listlessness that was with that because I think everybody does kind of feel that at 22. And when you have that, and on some level you have a culture that is not there for you anymore too because everything does seem to be geared toward like kids who are still in yeah. high school it's it becomes this thing where like you know in my case i just i think i i, I did get depressed as i was going through you know I, I know i put on like 40 or 50 pounds but in some cases i think that's where some people do get bitter and things like that as they get they get more cynical as they get into their 20s and i think what you know, would help me was that like you know i eventually did find my way out of it it became a very very odd time and i, I do remember like the beginning of of 2000 being just you know, we were we watched like the news all day. Mm -hmm. We watched all the various like you know Y two like they kept checking into the Y two K center and yeah. news. They were like, nothing's happened. You know. Well, <laughs> and, I think what was funny is like once the international New Year's yeah. happened and nothing ha bad happened, yeah. it was kind of like oh. Yeah, and then it was just like okay, let's just watch fireworks in a different place. And the balls can drop and everything is wonderful and you know everybody's drunk and here's the champagne. Let's go to bed. And now twenty years later. I think we stayed up to midnight last year because our kid was like oh, wired. Yeah. <laughs> oh God, that's right. And I drank that, uh, I drank like some wine or something and it made me deathly ill. Yeah. So again, you know, why don't I just say that like my sciatica is acting up? Like I'm <laughs> internally 80 years old. Yes, yes. Um, you know, <laughs> we're... Or we'll we'll be we'll be getting honey mush tomorrow at the home. Yeah, here <laughs> so, I am using my legs like a sucker. <laughs> old, man, old man yells at clouds. So. Yes. All right. Well, thank you very much for for coming on. Sure. I'm going to take a break, and I will be back to close out the episode. So stick around. read uh, a Superman comic? Not in the last few hours. Oh, I was just checking, right? Just checking. Hey everyone, my name is Michael Bailey, and I have been a fan of Superman for as long as I can remember. In 1987, I started collecting the Superman comics as a going concern, which led me down a long and winding comic book-filled path 
2007 when I first started podcasting. Well, it's 2017, and because it's been 10 years since I started podcasting, and 30 years since I started reading Superman full-time, I thought it might be fun to start a new show called It All Comes Back to Superman. It All Comes Back to Superman will be my monthly reaffirmation of my Kryptonian faith, where I will pick out something about the Man of Steel and discuss it. Sometimes I'll be alone. Sometimes I'll have a guest. No matter how many people get involved, Superman will be the focus. It All Comes Back to Superman is part of the Fortress of Bailey Tube podcasting network. New episodes will drop on the 28th of every month. This show and all of the other programs that are part of the Fortress of Bailey Tude podcasting network can be found at www.fortressofbaileytude.com. So I want to thank Amanda for sitting down with me again and talking about 1999. I had a great time, but then again, I always do. And we intend to do that Fox Reality episode at some point in the next six months, as well as some other stuff, so look for that. I also sat down with Brett recently to talk about some video games, and we'll be doing our annual Baltimore Comic Con coverage in late October. So look for that soon as well. But... Up next is a special milestone when it comes to Pop Culture Affidavit, because it is episode 100 of the podcast. And believe it or not, I didn't have to give a lot of thought to what I was going to cover on episode 100, because for a while I've known that when episode 100 came around, I was going to sit down and take a look at something that has been with Pop Culture Affidavit from the very moment I launched it as a blog back in February 2010. In fact, it was the topic of my very first blog entry. So in a few weeks, come back for episode 100, where I will be covering the 1982 Hal Needham directed Barry Bostwick starring film Megaforce. Megaforce. Until then, you can check me out on Twitter at popaff, that's P-O-P-A-F-F, and as always, thanks for listening, and take care. Thanks for listening to Pop Culture Affidavit. All clips and media are copyright their respective copyright holders and are used for review at illustrative purposes only, so no infringement is intended. Feedback can be sent via email to popcultureaffidavit at gmail.com. You can also follow the podcast on Facebook at facebook.com slash popcultureaffidavit. For more content, including show notes, media, and essays, be sure to check out the blog, which can be found at popcultureaffidavit.com. This podcast is a proud part of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which is a division of the Demanza Corps of Milan, Italy. 
you can support all the Two True Freaks podcasts by using the Amazon.com link at TwoTrueFreaks.com whenever you shop. Thank you for listening to Pop Culture Affidavit and come back next time for more pop culture randomness.